the spike protein is a toxin. So it, it's not, doesn't matter whether it's J&J, AstraZeneca, Moderna, uh, Pfizer, they all make your body make a spike protein. That spike protein binds to a tumor suppressor gene family, P53. It also binds to the breast cancer gene, BRCA, and the ovarian cancer gene, BRCA. We know that that spike protein can induce cancer pathways, period. It's happening. Cancers are on the increase across the board, lymphomas, leukemias, blood cancers, because that spike goes to the bone marrow. The lipid nanoparticle carries the mRNA to your dividing stem cells because it doesn't stay in the arm. It can go into any cell in your body and it turns that cell into a spike factory. It inhibits the ability for your DNA to repair itself. It binds to uh, our mitochondria, destroys the energy of our brain cells, destroys the energy of our liver cells, destroys the energy of any cell it gets into. Your own immune system attacks those cells. So a lot of people have arthritic pain, muscle pain. It's because those cells are being attacked by your own immune system because they're expressing this foreign spike protein. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, September 24th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. Have a jam-packed show, a really important show, in fact. They all tend to be pretty important these days, but this one seems especially important because of how this has progressed in regard to the bioeconomy direction, but also because of a story that you know I've touched on more than once. A story that I, in fact, had an entire second segment built and ready and set aside, took too long to get to it, and then my computer, had we had the last issue with the computer, was just magically crashed. I lost all that work, so I've been reluctant to get back into it. But something I saw recently made me decide to dig all this up again and go around the, the, the Red Cross discussion. As I think we completely verified the first time, they just never changed their story. So we're going to go back, play it all again, play the phone call I had with Red Cross where they admitted what they're saying now isn't true. And we'll go over all of it again. And we'll, we'll very clearly highlight how they're right now arguing something that we all know, even the peer-reviewed science has shown, even the corporate media has had to admit is the, the reality. If I said that right, they're arguing something that isn't they're saying something that's not true, which is that they're claiming that the the injection or anything they're in does not go into your bloodstream. Of course, that matters in regard to donations of blood and so on. And we'll go through that today. We're going to go through a few things I think are important, specifically the bivalent injection and how exactly as seemingly anybody with brain cells to rub together saw coming, even if you feel like it's from within their narrative, which is a fair point, meaning that maybe there's none of these things there at all. But the idea that within their narrative, even you can see that, well, logically, based on everything that's happened so far, by the time this new bivalent thing comes out, the law are to be new things. Cap- guess what? That's where we are today. New variants of concern. And now it's already happening, as well as the fact that there's some pointing at some new dangerous Saboro Corona, some Saboro virus or some new thing they're claiming is a coronavirus. It's 
nonstop. Fear, 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 something new. And we'll get into why even that thing they're pointing at is just exactly like any other undiscussed topic that they could just drag up and make into a fear-mongering topic. Could be dangerous, sure. Anything could be. Why they feel it's important to drag it up now and shake it in front of your face as if it's the next dangerous thing is the question we should be asking. Because it's more about keeping you in line with what they tell you is happening than actually showing you something that you should actually be concerned about. But we'll walk through the bivalent risks as well and how that's very clearly the same, the unknowns as well as what we do know, even if you want to argue their narrative again. Even the translation of the information they're claiming they're taking from the BA1 version or anything before, that's still dangerous. Those things are still dangerous, as I just played for you in the beginning, as we should all know by now, there is no safe version of this. It's dangerous for everybody. That is what the peer-reviewed science shows. That's not even something I should anybody should balk at saying right now. It's amazing that we're still battling narrative when the people saying trust the science are ignoring the science we put in front of them. It's incredible. But it is going to continue because people are allowing it to continue. Now we're going to talk about mRNA and the risks therein, as well as the the specific. There's all the different versions of this or uh, risky parts. There's many of them. The lipid nanoparticle in and of itself, or just nanoparticles by themselves, are risky and dangerous and potentially damaging to your reproductive system, cancer, all sorts of things. mRNA specifically has been shown to be dangerous. We have a, we, if the spike protein is the central part of this. All of those things are dangerous. So right now, it's not just about any one of those things. I argue the spike protein is the biggest issue here out of all of it. But I do argue the mRNA version of this is the central direction. So to just highlight it as one or the other, I think, is is disingenuous at the very least. We'll go through all of that and show you how it's continuing to get worse. And how the peer-reviewed science is continuing to compound and show you exactly what we're still being censored for saying. And we're going to have a huge focus on the Red Cross, the blood donations, the reasons they originally shut it down. And we'll walk you day by day about how they changed their narrative. It's all archived. It's impossible to ignore. They just won't say that when they get confronted with it. And we're going to finish with an important discussion around human biomass. Now, biomass, again, for the title, to be very clear, if I had enough space, I would have put human biomass energy because it is different. Biomass can be used as a term that's basically just referring to a, a connectivity, connectivity, essentially. There's probably a better word for that of organisms, you know, and a human society could be considered a biomass. But the point is, in regard to the bioeconomy, biomanufacturing, the discussion, one of the main central parts of it is biomass energy and what that really means. Now, I've done two different shows going over this. And one of the discussions I had that I thought was really disconcerting was the concept of using human bodies to burn, uh, well, specifically in many different ways, one of them composting to, I guess, argue that the carbon that's released when cremating or even burying and the different problems are avoided. And we can use that process to generate energy. That's a discussion that's been had before COVID-19, before the discussion of the bioeconomy. And I found it to be a little bit interesting that nobody brought that up, even though it's a huge central talking point in regard to the, the United Nations World Economic Forum kind of sustainable development goals direction. So why wasn't it mentioned? And then two days later, guess what? Gavin Newsom speaks up and says, we're going to start allowing human composting. Now, we're going to finish with that, so make sure you stay tuned to the end. Yet again, The Last American Vagabond is ahead of the story, and it's not to try and pat myself on the back as much as, sure, partly. It's to demonstrate our value, and that's why The Last American Vagabond and everybody within the platform is something you should see as valuable. And you can support that however you think you should, whether donation, share the content, however. But it's important to recognize that the value is there and how consistently we continue to be ahead of these stories. Now, I'm going to start off today 
with a couple of peripheral points that I think are important, as we tend to do. And these are ones that don't really fit into the, the central segments of today, but are still always relevant to everything else going around. This one I found really telling and interesting. And I just used this quote because it seemed just the best possible quote to add to this before I play the video clip. It's a big club and you ain't in it, George Carlin. The tweet says, this is inexcusable. A truly wild moment yesterday, and this was on September 22nd, from the House Financial Services Committee, where they laugh about the revolving door from Congress to banks. Now, this is really disgusting from, from a political, like, you know, skin crawl kind of political insider perspective, because they don't think this even matters anymore. This is publicly displayed. The way, the, even just the image you can see here, them smirking about the, the discussion. And they perfectly include whoever made this clip, a clip which seen, which was seen four million times, by the way, a clip from The Big Short. That clip you may remember if you've seen the movie where he's talking to the girl at the side of the pool who is actually involved in financial regulation, but is mingling and drinking and partying with all the Goldman Sachs guys. And, and they're going back and forth between working there and working at the banks and going to that's ridiculous. And that's exactly what we see everywhere. They're all captured. That's like having the EPA invested in coal. It doesn't make any sense, but it happens all over these places. Like we see that examples in vaccines and you know, go off forever. It, the conflicts of interest are literally everywhere. But this clip shows you that this is real time and that they don't even have a problem laughing about how this very thing is exposing the fact that they are compromised. But they don't care because they don't think you even realize what they're talking about or care. I don't know. I'm not sure. But oh, wait, this is the wrong one. Hold on. It's opening up the wrong. Here we go. Big club and you ain't in it. The gentleman from Indiana, Mr. Hollingsworth, is now recognized for five minutes. Just notice first is the image. And I'm so glad that whoever did this did a great job. This, <laughs> these people are the financial services committee, the House Financial Services Committee about regulation and Almost every single one, I would argue every one of them are tied or connected directly to the very people they're supposed to be regulating. It's just insulting to our intelligence. This is like pretending that your voting actually influences who gets put in those positions. It's the same kind of nonsense. We need to be grownups enough to realize that we are being played every single day in every single way. Good afternoon. I'm excited to be here with each of you. Before I get started on my questions, Mr. Moynihan, I wanted to let you know, Saruthi, raise your hand, Saruthi. She has been my team member for a couple of years now, but on Monday, she becomes a Bank of America team member, about which she is very, very excited. So I hope you'll take good care of her and know and recognize the talent that she has shown already in our office. I'm sure she'll do the same at Bank of America. We will do that, and her father already works for us, so he'll oh, take care of it. You should have called us. <laughs> um, well, good. well, I appreciate the opportunity yeah. to chat about some of these issues today. What I'm really interested in is the state of the economy. Yeah. How are you floating your resume to big banks? I mean, you're supposed to be the ones, you know, policing the big banks. Pro up, Jamie. There must be some kind of law against working for a financial institution right after you've been working in financial regulation, right? No. No. Hey! Doggy! Hey! Come over here! What are you doing at Caesar's? He's a Goldman. Yeah. Her father already works for us, so he'll oh, take care of it. You should have called us. <laughs> uh, Yuck. I mean, I, I honestly thought at first when I saw this clip that the guy was making that, trying to make a point. Like, I was like, good for him. I thought he was trying to point out that somebody was leaving his office to go work for the very people they're supposed to. Nope, nope. <laughs> they're yucking it up amongst each other like they're in some, oh, like a big club and you're not in it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what we're looking at. How insulting. Are we really going to pretend like there, there's, if there's even remotely an overlap 
that there's not conflicts of interest. And don't, that's why they call it a revolving door. It doesn't just go one way. That very same person could later in, in 10 years end up working back in the government, which is what happens. And, and then they hope and assume, and in many cases are right, that you don't catch that. That 10 years later, you don't even remember that they work for... I mean, it, it's, it's just disgusting, guys. But this is everywhere. Now here, is, is a, it's kind of a similar example, but in, the, in regard to how, from an EU perspective, or like, a, you know, I guess in a United Nations kind of idea, like this is the sense of not the individual countries, but the EU, which is in and of itself a bastardization of sovereignty. But that these, this is... Speaking about policy is my, my point I was getting at instead of financial in regard to policy of like, you know, sanctions and, and, and directions of elections. And that's what she's exactly referring to. This has made the rounds ever. And hopefully everybody's got a chance to point at this. And it's exactly what people are saying it is. This is it's almost as if she she might as well have just said blatantly that if the elections go the way we don't like, then we're going to sanction them. That's what she's saying right here. It says, will, will it's basically, it says on the upcoming elections in Italy, where a right-wing victory is expected. And just to be clear, by the way, right-left wing are all, they don't mean the same things even across the world, especially not even what they meant in this country like 15, 20 years ago. It completely changes and they mean different things, but we pretend like it's the same. But in any case, it's supposed to be right, bad guy, left, good guy in the main mindset of some of these people. And she says, well, we will see. If things go in a difficult direction, I've had spoken to Hungary and Poland, we have tools. Yeah, sanctions is what they're talking about. Or at the very least, influence, manipulation. You're talking about if it goes in a direction, the difficult direction, in regard to the right-wing victory, well, we have tools. I don't matter how you think she means that. That means they're applying their tools to achieve what they want in contradiction of the people who voted for them. But yeah, democracy, when you, when it suits you, right? This is the kind of world we live in, guys. These people don't care about anything they pretend they want you to think they do. Now, here's an interesting spin to all of this. Now, I'm not even sure this, this is the kind of question I ask myself, why they would put this out, essentially. Look at that. I know I'm following Jason. Guys, this stuff happens constantly. It doesn't matter. But this poll is from corporate media, Yahoo News. And it's a poll about whether you're more concerned about socialist left or MAGA Republicans, which in and of itself is kind of an illusion, right? As if that's the only thing happening today left and right that's all it's just social but the point is that the poll from the corporate media found the opposite of what you might expect now i would argue why they would even put that out you may argue because well not everybody's completely controlled and maybe that's right or maybe there's a reason they want you i don't know but in any case i found it kind of telling majority of americans according to this poll from corporate media left-leaning corporate media more concerned about socialist left than they are MAGA republicans which completely makes sense to me I would even argue if you try one of the possible points would be that this is actually what we're seeing because most people are not taking the bait. Most people are not falling into the two party paradigm. I believe that. I know a lot of people disagree. I believe the COVID delusion in Ukraine, a lot of things have really opened people's minds. And maybe we've always been lied to about what the majority actually thinks. That's what I think. But this is what it shows you. Fifty five percent of Americans. Again, this isn't so, you know, any poll can be manipulated. So that's why we're usually these things don't mean much. However, this is from a left leaning outlet and their poll. And they found so that kind of makes it have a little more cloud, I would argue. Five, 55 percent of Americans are more concerned about the socialist left than they are about MAGA Republicans, according to a new Harvard Caps Harris poll. The poll asked respondents, are you more concerned about the socialist left in America and the power they are gaining? Or are you more afraid of MAGA Republicans and the power they are getting? Just 45% of respondents said they're more concerned with MAGA Republicans. 
That's really interesting. The poll also asked voters, do you think there are tens of millions of dangerous MAGA Republicans backing violence and trying to overthrow the Constitution, whatever that even means? Or is that a gross exaggeration and distortion? Like, what do you mean overthrowing the Constitution? Like, these are some of the most constitutionalist centered people in existence. And there's not even, you know, there's no such thing as overthrowing the Constitution. So I don't even think people making this poll or the writers even understand that that doesn't make sense. That's because this, these things don't mean the same, the same that it should to people that recognize how important things like this are to what this country was founded on. Maybe not to you and even going forward, but to what it was founded on for sure. But it says most voters, 54% believe the number of dangerous MAGA Republicans is grossly exaggerated because it is. 46% said there are tens of millions of dangerous MAGA Republicans, including 73% of Democrats. Well, that doesn't surprise me. 20% of Republicans and 42% of independents. But 20% of Republicans claim that MAGA Republicans are dangerous. But it's all, this is my point. It's all mixed around. It's not as simple as they want you to think it is. I, can, I would say the same thing on the other side around, but the, the, the idea of the socialist left, I would also agree, is overrepresented or rather the, oh, grossly exaggerated. It's still a very big problem. Whether we're talking the the whichever side we're talking about, you call them whatever you want, the left, the right, the two party paradigm, all of them in one big bunch, however you want to talk about it. They're all concerning to me because I think they're the same thing at the end of the day, what they're really driving at, which is just centralized control. But different point to be made. The poll was conducted September 7th and 8th, one week after Biden gave that big, crazy speech. Magger, where he said we're basically uh, saying that MAGA Republicans represent an extremist threat that the foundations of our republic even though they love to say republic except it's not a republic and it's a, the it's a not even really a democracy but it's supposed to be a constitutional republic long since or ever been that but it's funny how they like to pretend they're the same thing 56 percent of voters opposed the speech that biden gave 56 percent more people than thought that maga were da- uh, were not dangerous thought that he was his speech was wrong 60 percent called the speech divisive 54% said the speech was just fear-mongering. So just recognize that even people that you might perceive if you're in the two-party paradigm is on the other side are aware that they're being manipulated, even if they associate with a left versus a right. Like, we need to realize that it's not as simple as they want people to think it is. Even those of us that see through it sometimes still fall in these traps, myself included. I think that's a really important thing to understand. And coming off the show I just did, I think this is a perfect example. And if you didn't watch this, I highly recommend you at least watch the part I do about that video and the idea of the psychological operations, because it's just so prevalent. It's everywhere. And they're admitting we lie. We pretend to be Iranians. We pretend to be Afghanis. We pretend to be Ukrainians. And we lie to you about it. And we try to get you to think what we want you to think. But we swear it's for good reasons. Yeah. Who would even buy that today? That's basically the equivalent of the article they put out. But how the U.S. government's unaccountable psychological operations define your reality. It's, for th- it's things just like this. That, it, it, I'm arguing January 6th and the MAGA Republicans and the whole scam that they're trying to push. But that being said, let's jump into the COVID-19 injection discussion, which, oh, that's right, is also a psychological operation. So it perfectly translates. But let's start off with the fact that they're telling you, according to Wittgenstein, that, that people are so eager to get this injection that, man, they're requesting the booster themselves. It's just embarrassing because we'll go right to the next discussion where they're going, nobody's getting the booster. <laughs> but trust me, they'll, they'll sell anything they can at any moment. This is about trying to convince you that you better get there quick because guess what? The re- people are requesting it. They want it so bad. So they just tapped this group and said, make it look like we, we're about to run out. You know, that's how they, just like they did in the beginning, get the supplies while they last. Like it's a, it's a marketing campaign. Now that's actually not the focus of this. It's more about the idea of pretending that people are asking them for it. 
Like they want it, you should too, right? That this is sell sales. But what's funny about this is the the video itself does not sell you, and it's basically an empty room. So I find it kind of hilarious that they're essentially saying everybody's asking for this, but here's a room where nobody's actually getting it. <laughs> it's just a very interesting way to do that. Well, let's see. Here we go. Channel reporter Christina Rodriguez joins us live from Santa Maria with that. Christina, healthcare providers have a message for folks. Yes, doctors on the Central Coast say many patients are interested in the booster. <laughs> I just got to say, that was weird. <laughs> like, she must be new. You don't, you don't stop on the high note. That's not the corporate media way. Most people say they want a booster and now's the time to come in, right? That's, that would be a corporate media. Now, now they say they want the booster. <laughs> it's just very, very weird. I'm sorry. It's not, this is not a funny time to make, but it's kind of, I think it's fun. I love to make fun of corporate media. Doctors on the Central Coast say many patients are interested in the booster. Oops. <laughs> the new there. booster has been available on the Central Coast now for three weeks. Oh, you mean the new injection. That's right, because it's not a booster. And even the White House got called out on that. But apparently nobody else cares to correct that reality. We had a lot of people as soon as the, the FDA announced uh, that the, the booster vaccinations have been approved. Oh, OK, that... great. So now we have a doctor, Dr. Nasheed Booch. Make sure you don't go see him because he clearly has no idea that this is not a booster and it's not even approved. But apparently he says that with complete certainty on corporate media and tells all of his patients that because he's an informed doctor. It's not true. Everybody should know that it's emergency authorized. That's there's no version of this new thing or even the, 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 the original Pfizer ones that are out in circulation that is approved. It's not the reality. It has not been approved. And you guys all know this. And I will always make a point about this because it's infuriating to me that these people who are named experts and used as experts on the show don't even know the most basic rudimentary facts about what's happening. This, this approved booster done. Get him out of the way. This guy does not know what he's talking about. We had a lot of people as soon as the, the FDA announced uh, that the the booster vaccinations have been approved. Uh, we had a lot of people asking for it. Doctors. And there's your sell point. <laughs> Apparently, because once they said it was approved, which never happened, everybody was asking me for it. And it's like, just, that's 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 probably not even real. I just think it's hilarious. But see, the problem is that people like that guy may even be a genuine person. He may not even be stupid. He just somewhere along his career has been convinced that the truth is whatever they tell him and smart doctors do what they're told. Like that's that's a problem today. I know plenty of people that are actually pretty smart that have convinced themselves that smart people, because that's how they see themselves, are they listen to what the CDC experts say, because only dumb people don't do that. That's just psychological or psychological manipulation, right? That's social engineering. So I'm not saying I know for sure. Maybe he's just a liar. Maybe he's part of the agenda or he's just a doctor and he has been convinced that that's what he's supposed to say. But that's the reality of all of this. That's what's happening everywhere. People have just taken the bait and are selling a narrative. That's why we, that's why this we will get to the Red Cross where they're arguing it doesn't go in your blood, you stupid conspiracy theorist. Well, here's seven peer reviewed studies that say exactly that. But you're still dumb and crazy. I mean, it's it's a mind blowing situation. Say locals are taking initiative and coming in on their own for walk-in appointments. 
getting to the point where many of us haven't received a COVID vaccine in over six months. Oh um, and, you know, we do know that with time, immunity wanes. Healthcare providers recommend receiving the booster before immunity decreases. There's been several people coming in asking, should I get it? Um, and basically the long and short of it is, yes, pretty much everybody um, over 12 qualifies. Um, Except we don't know if it's safe for pregnant women, immunocompromised, other vaccines alongside it. Yeah, all those huge caveats aside, yeah, everybody, come on in. You see my point? It's good no matter what. If you, As long as you err on the side of vaccines, great, you're never going to be hurt by it no matter what. Everything you say flies. It doesn't matter. I even just saw HHS put out a tweet that basically insinuated that you have a lesser chance of dying in general if you take this je- injection. I'm sure they meant that you have a sh- lesser d- chance of dying from COVID, but they just left that part out, and it clearly reads that you have a lower chance of dying if you take this injection. But the point is, they don't care. There's no censorship of fake news in the positive direction of injections. It just doesn't happen. I made that clear in a, tw- a account I had before. I had a huge, huge reach on a tweet that basically suggested that if you take these injections, you'll never die. Or rather, that it, incre- it decreases your risk of dying from everything. And everybody shared that. I, I had like 40 people report that as fake news, and it never got taken down. They don't care about stuff like that. But this doctor will tell you, everybody go in and get it. Everybody. Even though we don't have tests that even show this is safe, we're simply, and they'll tell you that, we're assuming that it translates, and that's their words. Does she know that? Does she care? Even if you're fully vaccinated. Local doctors say side effects have not been different than previous COVID-19 vaccines. So, so local doctors say that these side effects, right, so the very few things that have even been given out. So how, how do they even know? This has been barely, this has just started. What You know what they're referring to is before. And they've been told that it's supposed to be the same, so they report, well, it's supposed to be the same. But yeah, but let's let's trust this girl that clearly is smart. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be, that's not fair. But she is struggling with her presentation. But she's saying, well, doctors said this is the right thing. And that's the whole point. It's just parroting the narrative. So soreness at the injections did. Local doctors say side effects have not been different than previous COVID-19 vaccines. But doesn't that also sound scary? Yes, because when they say that, they don't want you to think myocarditis, blood clots, heart strokes, heart attacks, thrombosis, none of that. But that's the reality, though, because the side effects are the same. And that's those. That's what's happening. It's funny how even their narrative now is kind of because you can't miss this. I think people everywhere see what's happening. And that's why the booster shots have completely bottomed out. So soreness at the injection site, redness, maybe a little bit of swelling at the injection site. Um, And then kind of more moderate symptoms would be like fever, um, body aches, fatigue. Um, This generally lasts from like. Yeah, myocarditis, blood, blood, you know, blood clots, strokes, heart attacks, Bell's palsy, thrombosis. Uh, what else? You know, seizures, uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, I could go on really if I want to get explicit with there's all sorts of little individual things we can go off on. But yeah, there, there's hundreds, even on the Pfizer documentation of listed of side effects of concern. That means that they're they're re, I mean, this is insulting. Even myocarditis is now listed on their documentation. She didn't mention it. 24 to 48 hours. Physicians say they are happy to be able to provide the community with the free booster. You know, this is something that we've been uh, very, very pleased and uh, thankful for as far as having the ability to provide this. Locals can visit their primary doctors for personalized concerns. What a report that was. Good job. 
appointments are available online to avoid long waiting times. Live in Santa Maria, I'm right because clearly everyone's rushing in. That was my other point too. As you can see, when they show that, it seems jam packed, doesn't it? You know, if if they was you saw it when I went through it. There's nobody in the room. There's nobody there. That's that's the reality. But they sure as hell want you to think that. Now here is Walensky trying to sell you on the new thing. And this is just, it's a one minute sales pitch is all it is. There's no real information. It's just her setting up and saying, do it because you're supposed to. And you won't have any problems because we don't know if it's safe. Thank you for joining today's director debrief. Woo, straight back from Cabo, apparently. She's nice and tanned up, right? While you're all stuck at home and scared, they're out living their lives. Updated COVID-19 vaccines are now available to every American age 12 and older who has received their primary series. CDC now recommends Pfizer-BioNTech's updated COVID-19 vaccines for people ages 12 and older. Note she didn't say booster. Just be real clear about that. They're very clearly sticking to that's not a booster. They got chastised for it. Now they're calling it a vaccine. But literally everybody else everywhere, media, anybody's calling it a booster. I just find that pretty telling. And Moderna's updated COVID-19 vaccines for people ages 18 and older. Half of the updated vaccine formula targets the original SARS-CoV-2 strain, and the other half of that vaccine targets BA4 and BA5 Omicron variants. Right now, as 99% of circulating virus in the United States are BA5 and BA... That's not true. That's fake news. And she, this is a brand new video. I will literally prove that's wrong. Even the corporate media is now making clear that it's about 80-something 80, 80 percent. I have, the, I have it pulled up. So maybe she recorded this before, but this just came out. So she's wrong. <laughs> updating these vaccines to match the circulating variants helps us to be better protected against these variants and future variants. Ah, and there's the crux of it right there, guys, because what, they're, what she's insinuating right there is, well, just keeping it updated to the new variants is what keeps you safe. So if you read if you read into that, what she's very clearly saying is that's how this is going to go. Once we have another problem, we'll just update the injections again. Yeah, I know we all saw this coming. It shouldn't be a shock to anybody, and especially those that were saying this would be the reality and were censored for up until now and probably still are. You also saw the reality. It's all very clear. Just like the new variant, it's all very easy to predict what's happening. That's why we tend to be ahead of these. But she is very clearly outlining how the process is going to go, and they've said this. It's the universal mRNA platform kind of direction, just like they do with the flu, but they're going to do it apparently every 30 seconds, every month, every new variant. That's what they're talking about here. You just play it again to match the circulating states are BA5 and BA4. Updating these vaccines to match the circulating variants helps us to be better protected against these variants and future variants. Right. So up, she didn't say specifically which ones, just updating them to address the current variants is how keep that that's where we're going with this. Data from studies on over 1,700 people who received a bivalent COVID-19 vaccine demonstrated an increased immune response and broad protection against known variants. Well, the last part of it, I don't even think is accurate personally, but that the point is that the immune response does not translate to exactly what they're saying it does. And I'll play these clips again where even the WHO is telling you that. Oh, I think it's right here. These bivalent vaccines um, help you to mount a slightly higher antibody response against Omicron. But whether that's going to translate into any kind of clinical efficacy, we don't know because we don't really have those studies. And so time will tell Right. Okay. So we don't know. 
right? And what she's meaning there is, yeah, we can have an immune response. And she's arguing against Omicron, the original Omicron. You, they argue there's a response there. But whether that translates into effectively having an, eff, eff, an uh, immune response that is, uh, that's efficacious currently is yet to be seen. That's what she's saying right there. So this is just everything else in between is just hope and nonsense. By the way, what is what do these mean right here? It's a weird thing to include right there. Those isn't that the OK symbol that's supposed to be like a white supremacy symbol? Right, <laughs> Posting them right up there in the top corner of the video. It's strange. Data have repeatedly demonstrated that being up to date on your COVID-19 vaccination provides protection against severe illness and death from COVID-19. That's not true. I mean, literally everything everywhere shows you that's not true other than the statements they make. I mean, look, I, this, I, I'm tired of playing this soft girl game. The data that keeps coming out from every country, from all the peer-reviewed science, continues to show you that the people suffering the most are the people that are getting injected. And we can see the excess death in these places where they don't want to define what's going on. Weird, we can't figure out why all this excess death is happening in perfect correlation with the injections. It's everywhere. So it's not true. I mean, I, this is this is what the data shows, especially for those over the age of 50 and others at high risk of severe disease. As Denny Rancourt points out, that's exactly the problem is they focus on these people and they create it. It basically it, it uh, exacerbates the problem specifically for the people most at risk. I strongly encourage everyone to stay up to date on their COVID-19 vaccines and for everyone over 12 to get an updated COVID-19 vaccine this fall. Right. Except there's many groupings that they don't know if it's safe for, including literally everybody for getting the new injection. But who cares? It doesn't matter. Right. They're going to tell everyone to get this when they don't know if it's safe. They don't know. There are no human safety trials. None. They're translating from other things. I can't even believe when this is an open discussion. And, and why? Because we're all su in such danger? Because that's not even the reality in their narrative right now. They're telling you this is not that dangerous. They're telling you that it's less than the flu. It's everywhere. So how do you weigh this the right way? If it's not that dangerous right now, you can't say it might be in the future. Therefore, take this thing we haven't tested. How do you justify this? If it's not that dangerous now, how do you rationalize skipping this out very quickly for your safety without testing to see if it's safe? you can very clearly see that the risk of unknown from taking something that's already shown to be wildly dangerous, they're not admitting, and then rushing that into the next thing without any new... I mean, that's this is something dangerous on top of something dangerous. This is compounding in incredible ways. Now, here's the craziest part to start off with in regard to how this is already going forward is that exactly what everybody saw coming is happening. That they're already going, oh no, BA275 is, is, is exploding. As, as Theo Jordan points out, thank you, that it discusses extensive immune escape may effectively evade antibody immunity. Now, of course, what they're talking about is they won't really get into is specifically vaccine-induced immunity, if you want to call it that, which I don't even think we're talking about. Natural immunity in regard to this concept, according to their peer-reviewed science, as I've shown many times, very clearly continues to show <clears throat> that you have lasting, durable, robust immunity through variants of concern. I've gone over it countless times. I have it. I've got it in here somewhere. I'm not going to try to find it. I'll feel like I'll lose my place. But this is about how there are new variants, according to them, that are already spinning around. So why would you take the new thing, especially when there's no safety testing? It just doesn't make any sense. Thank you. Thank you, Theo, for sharing this. Here's the actual page. Scientists were worried about a particular variant this fall. They didn't expect its offspring. Wait, is that this one? Yeah, that's the same post. I'll keep that for later. But September 21st, 
What do you mean they didn't expect its offspring? I'm just jumping. That's the point I was going to make over here. But how would they not? If they're the ones screaming about how there's new things coming, Fauci literally has been saying nonstop on his tour for the last year that there will be more variants. There will be more variants. Except when it finally happens, they go, oh, we didn't expect it. <laughs> I mean, it's just so perfectly stupid. It's like having their event 201 where it shows you all the things they claim they need and they do none of it. And then when something happens, they go, oh, we didn't, we don't have what we need. So then why'd you do the, the, oh, that's right. You did it to seed the idea in our minds that we would need those things. That's all it really was. Are we really going to take the narrative that they didn't expect to have some new variant? Of course they did. They've been literally telling you that. But apparently when they finally have it happen, they go, oh, we didn't expect it. So in the meantime, take the new injection. Yeah, because that makes sense, right? Omicron spawned BA275 dubbed Centaurus, which again, we've already talked about. We already told you this was there. And I don't know why we're still calling these things Omicron variant when there's new names because they're not the same thing. They just, and I'm going to make this point again, I think somewhere in here, but the idea, I believe they've stuck this to Omicron and just becoming Omicron variant forever because they don't want this to, they want you to keep taking these shots. If this becomes some new idea, well, that, comp- that then all of a sudden the new Omicron focused thing is clearly no longer relevant. Right now, it's no longer relevant. I don't think any of these things are relevant. But in the minds of the people, if you're selling them an Omicron booster and you're still pointing at an Omicron variant, <clears throat> it might make sense to somebody. But suddenly when it's like, oh, no, this is Centurus, well, why would I go take the Omicron variant booster or whatever they're calling it? See my point? I think that's why. In the beginning, it was Delta to this to that. And it was every new name. If these things are different enough to be able to change what's happening, so their narrative goes, change the, how infective it is or how it transmitted, that's a new thing. That's the reality of it. That's how this has always gone. You can argue that it's connected to these things, and any of them are. They're all variants coming off of the original coronavirus, so they claim. They just have different names. You see my point? It's weird that they've stuck this to Omicron ever since. And weird that it started in Botswana, and they don't talk about it, and it was with diplomats. It seems very coordinated weird that omicron was exactly what they wanted it to be or in the context of where we are now but maybe not in the overall plan but it says the world health organization announced in july in in july it was tracking the concerning new variant which had been identified in 10 countries 10 countries including the u.s and was gaining ground against other transmissible strains so at the time in july they already knew this was gaining ground now that which means and i'll show you next on these and again to point out where her percentages are wrong show you it's right there it's actually 80 80 oh shoot did i just screw that up okay good it's still the same ba583 even including ba4 it's not the number she stated but going back we'll come back to this in July, they knew this was rising. And if it's gaining ground, historically, that's showing you the ones that gain ground are because of its, it's a, not, is it virological or biological traits? In any case, the traits of the variant are because it's more transmissible or more whatever. Again, what they're claiming, it will continue to gain ground because if it's more transmissible than the one before, then it will spread faster and so on, right? So if it's already gaining ground, then it's logical if we're still at that point that it will eventually become the most dominant. So if they knew this in July, why were they so focused on BA5? Well, because they already set their game to it. They already began making injections for it. Sort of like the BA1 that they literally brought to market, even if we were even when we were so far past it, and they just now we're going, well, we just use that data. So it's still relevant. They didn't even really advertise that BA1 was being made that quick. And, and it's already there. Apparently, in places around the world, they're even giving it still, which makes no sense. But Centaurus, it says it's no longer a worry. 
assistant dean of research and associate professor of New York Institute of Technology and Campus uh, Cold Fortune. However, one of its children, one of its variants, which apparently is still an Omicron variant, which makes no sense, has outcompeted it, eliminating it as a threat, but replacing it with a more formidable one. And they go on to argue that it completely is talking about extensive immune escape. And why then, if that's out there or anything else is out there, why we would take an injection focused on something else? I don't know why anybody anywhere still believes that this is just, I mean, even with the, even as somebody who bought the narrative from day one, with what's even been circulated inside the controlled narrative, how can you not look back at where we were and go, my God, look at what they're saying today versus what they said in the beginning? How can you possibly trust what's happening right now? It just seems willfully stupid. Now, here's the, here's the actual preprint, which is funny because, you know, preprints mean everything when they want to use them. But when we point at one, they go, you stupid. It's a preprint. You don't even know science. <laughs> You're not a science person. But, of course, they point at it all the time. September 19th, Omicron, sublineage, BA2752 exhibits extensive escape from neutralizing antibodies. Except, as we'll continue to show, that the science peer-reviewed and otherwise has continued to show that your variants of con- or your antibodies produced T-cell and memory in regard to natural immunity has continued to be durable, lasting, and robust through Omicron. I've already made that clear. And here's the next part. This is September 23rd, yesterday. CDC now tracking the rise of not just BA275, but BF172 or BF.7. The BA5 variant that dominated the summer wave has now fallen to 83.1% of new cases. Just new cases, by the way. That's all it is. And that, that's less than the flu. So it's, I don't even know why we're acting like this is even something to be concerned about right now. Three rival strains. You got the BF7, BA275, and BA46, whatever they say that is, have now climbed and make up nearly one in five new infections. So we're at a point where one in five infections aren't even the thing that they're being given and that happened really quickly, again, within their narrative. So why are, is anybody willing to take something that hasn't been tested properly unless it was the current most dangerous thing and everyone's dropping dead from it? I mean, really, like we've been, people have been so scared on the illusory hype of what this might be some point down the road if you don't do this, that they're willing to rush in and take something that they don't even know is safe. One potential candidate for a fall and winter wave now being tracked by the virus experts is specifically BA275.2. Early lab data from Europe and China suggest the variant harbors mutations that add up to the most, quote, extreme antibody escape than any variant we've seen so far, which, by the way, would mean very clearly that it will outpace the one they're using now, BA4 and 5. If that's the reality, if it's the, ext- if it's the most extreme antibody escape and is more transmissible as they're calling it, and more da- that's a no-brainer. But I'm sure they're going to soft play this until they get as many as they can to take the new thing. It's exactly what they're doing. Now, here is the tracking of these on the World Health Organization page. I just want to show you a quick, couple quick things here. Okay, good. I thought I lost my highlighting. Omicron subvariants under monitoring. <clears throat> now, first of all, the working definition a var- of a variant of concern, which is one, which is what all of these are apparently, a variant that, according to the phylogenic analysis belongs to a currently circulating variant of concern and shows signals of transmission advantage compared to other circulating variants of concern lineages. So that means the ones they're pointing at, including the one that we just talked about, would by, by definition of what it is and what we just heard, is again, very clearly set to no-brainer outpace what's happening now. And it says, has additional amino acid changes that are known or suspected to confer the observed change in epidemiology and fitness advantages compared to other circulating variants. Omicron is currently the dominant variant circulating globally, which apparently includes like all these different ones. 
under, just under under Omicron umbrella, which seems to be everything right now, is 98% of these different ones, except they're all very different. Since its de- designation as a variant of concern by WHO on 26th of November, viruses part of the Omicron complex have continued to evolve. Now, couldn't you make that same argument that all of these, all of them, are viruses part of the, the SARS-CoV-2 complex? Like, why did suddenly Omicron, like, I get the logic of what they're selling you on anyway. This right here. Like, that these are, there's different lineages. BA5 sublineage and BA2 sublineage. I get that. But can't you just simply start to make it all under a sublineage because they're all ultimately connected? It just becomes kind of a willful choice to continue to, under the umbrella of Omicron, all make these the same thing. Now, by the way, all those, excuse me, I misspoke in the beginning. All those were Omicron sublineages, BA5, BA4. But then we could talk about the other ones that they're not listing here. But I guess that's kind of my point. If everything here is under the umbrella of some kind of Omicron sublineage, it's all Omicron. What point does it suddenly become something new? And what's the defining characteristics of that? I would argue you could point to something like Delta compared to Alpha, and the changes between those two are less than what we're seeing between these Omicron variants. But we can look through it. But the point here is that they're trying to sell you on the idea that these things are increasingly getting more dangerous. Did I skip? I skipped that, didn't I? Here, we'll come. Uh, oh, I didn't read this. Is that what it was? No, I read that. Okay, let's make sure I didn't skip that. But okay, so back to this where I was reading these highlighted parts. It says, since its designation, yeah, that it's under that complex, leading to descendant lineages with different genetic constellations of mutations. Okay, well, couldn't you just call that something else? Which is what they were doing. Centaurus is what it was originally called, and they just switched back to Omicron variant. Very strange. Now, there's a bunch of BA2.75 under here. I think that was it on this. Under their point here. Now, both these are important to keep. Save these, guys. I'm going to save both these. The tracking SARS-CoV-2 variants discussion. Even if you don't even think this is just completely made up. Still watch because it'll tell you what they're saying. In this case, this is their data tracker from CDC pointing out the, what they're arguing are the different percentages of these different variants and how prominent they are. As you can see right here, BA5 is 83.1%. Whereas BA seven BA two seven five is only one point four, so you could argue that it seems obvious that one is more prominent. But as you can see, the ebb and flow of this, and as it been in the past, it's already beginning to happen. And based on what they just said about why it's beginning to happen, I don't see any logical reason why it wouldn't continue in the same vein, like every other one before it. They know this, guys. <clears throat> That's why I feel like they're trying to rush this out so quickly. <clears throat> but we can keep track of this and see how these things evolve. So we can know what they're going to be selling you on, especially when they're trying to argue one's more important than the other. But again, they didn't expect its offspring. Who, who actually believes that? Despite them constantly screaming that they were going to be new offspring. And then when it happens, they go, oh, we didn't expect it. They caught us off guard. Seems pretty self-serving. Well, here's Chris Hayes. Again, this was my point before, showing you that nobody's getting the booster. Pretty much everybody's turning this down right now especially from the ones before, but he's selling you, go out and get the updated booster shot. And here you're going to love his sales pitch here because it's all facts and information. No, it's just because it's the right thing to do, right? Go get it because you know you're supposed to. There are a bunch of reasons the U.S. has a high COVID mortality rate compared with other large high-income countries. Oh, because of the vaccine maybe? Are we going to ask the question of whether it played a part? No, it has to be something else. Right. If you're not going to include the possibility of the vaccine p- being a part of why you have a high mortality rate at a time when it's not COVID related, because that's the point he leaves out here. 
The high excess mortality we're seeing across every country, it's, it's predominant. It's, the majority is not COVID related. Even in the United States, I've already shown you this from their own admissions. But of course, he just is happy to conflate that the reason we have high excess mortality or high mortality rate in general is because no one got the vaccine. You know, the vaccines that are causing people to die. That makes sense. One reason, though, is that we have a lower baseline vaccination rates and lower booster rates. According to the CDC, about 68 percent of Americans are fully vaccinated with the original shots. You know, only about a third of eligible Americans have gotten even their first booster shot. Right. And even among American seniors. That means that that means that only a third of people that were dutifully doing both of those shots, which blows my mind, chose to get one, even though they told them they had to. This was at a time when they were still forcing and they still are, by the way, colleges, businesses, companies are still forcing and mandating that they don't want you to see that. I don't think they don't want the average person to realize that this is not stopping. They want them to think it's over because they did their part. They're still forcing this. It's wild. Even with everything we know and that's out there, peer reviewed and otherwise, but they know it. Even the people that they claim are on their side saw through it and stopped complying. You're not alone. So why in the world would they get the next one? That's what they're in the, the process of trying to convince them of. Sell them on the new one. First booster shot. And even among American seniors, that's the most highly vaccinated population, only about 65% have gotten their first booster. Remember, the immunity wears off over time. The boosters help restore it. Nah, your immune system is broken, and that's why your immune system stops producing the antibodies. Basic understanding here, guys. The vaccine is not what is the idea that your body is supposed to produce antibodies is not because the vaccine is making those for your body. Your the vaccine is using genetic instructions to teach your body how to make a protein, which I don't know why anybody wants that especially since we now know that it continues to make them. We know that it continues to spread in your bloodstream. All the peer-reviewed science makes this very clear. The problem, though, is that that is then stopping after the vaccine's no longer playing a role other than what it's already done to your body. That is your immune system shutting down. And then, of course, you inject more genetic material, more genetic instructions. Well, it's going to kick up some kind of response, and then it gets even worse. Now you're trapped in this cycle of needing more and more like a drug addict. This is what we're seeing. That's their own documentation that shows a 75 negative percent efficacy after three months. That is unprecedented, guys. Your body's breaking down. And this is what we talk about lymphocytopenia, the dysregulation of the immune system or the suppression or the, the vaccine-induced immune suppression, all these different discussions we've had. These are peer-reviewed. But all he's going to tell you is, oh, it wanes. You know, it wanes. It goes away. Sort of like natural immunity. Nope, that's also fake news. They're very desperate to try to sell you on that idea because that's not how it's supposed to work. Yes, your body will eventually no longer make these antibodies because it won't be needed, but the memory B and T cell are what keep that, or specifically the memory B, is what keeps that so if it ever comes along again, you can produce them again. The idea that you're supposed to forever make antibodies, which is what these people are doing, is dangerous and wrong and bad. The combination of pandemic fatigue, which is totally understandable, and the ins oh, thanks for giving us that. It's okay. You're allowed to be upset about the fact that your rights and your life was taken away. That's understandable. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for allowing us to be upset about that. Insane virulence and polarization created by the anti-vax crowd. Right. Has right, because it's the anti-vax crowd that's polarizing people, right? Were we the ones that were attacking everybody for getting injections? No, it was the other way around. It was the group that was polarizing people that were attacking people for not making a choice, attacking them for choosing their own medical direction. That's what happened. It's actually wild that people, I, these people actually think that in many cases that they are the ones that were being polarized, that we were the ones polarizing. 
by allowing people to make their own choices. Wow, what a polarized stance. But some of these people actually believe that. Contributed to the U.S. being and polarization created by the anti-vax crowd has contributed to the U.S. being significantly under-vaccinated as a whole, as a country, and it's producing a lot of unnecessary damage and death. No, it's in fact probably saved people's lives. That's the reality. The actions we've taken and every single person that stopped taking these because they saw the peer-reviewed science, that's saving people's lives. That's how unequivocal I'm about this at this point. It's obvious. The reality is there. So what he's saying is by stopping these people, we, we are putting people's lives in danger. I mean, this is at a point when every single data point you can find across the, these countries have exploding neurological problems, exploding excess death that we can't connect to anything. We just go, I don't know, it's baffling. And yet that, and he's, they still double down on the fact that the injections are the saving grace. It's pretty crazy. Now, there are a lot of things we can do to prevent the spread of COVID, um, but the vac vaccination and boosting is the lowest hanging fruit. Okay, so here we are at the square one of the lie, right? So we're st he's still pretending the vaccine stopped transmission. Do you realize how dumb you must have to be to be at a point where you still feel like it's acceptable to argue the stop transmission on a mainstream platform, even as we know as a matter of fact, as even Walensky's been forced to admit that they don't stop transmission, not even remotely, not in any way. In fact, that the vast majority of people spreading this and catching it repeatedly are the injected. That's provable. And I've done it many times. But yeah, here he is telling you that's the best way to stop transmission. Take the injection. It's just, it's just, it's mind-numbingly impossible these people can actually be on this. I don't know. I, I, I almost find it impossible to believe that he can actually think that, but maybe so. Vaccination and boosting is the lowest hanging fruit. Now, there's a new COVID booster that's out now. So far, not a booster. It's a shot. It's an injection, not a booster. Just less than 2% of the eligible population have gotten it. Right. And I have to say, I have talked to lots of people in my life. Friends, family members, people who've gotten vaccinated, who are conscientious, who read the news and have not. Oh, you see how he slips that in there, right? If you got vaccinated, you're smart, you're conscientious. And if you're not, you're dumb and stupid and don't pay attention, right? That's that's what he basically just said right there. I mean, think about how what an insulting conflation. You're telling me there's no one dumb out there and got injected? There's no one that does. There's plenty of dumb people that can't even tie their own shoes that definitely got injected. But according to him, you're a smart upper class person. If you, you know, that's that's how they frame this. Crazy. I have talked to lots of people in my life, friends, family members, people who've gotten vaccinated, who are conscientious, who read the news and have not yet gotten the new booster, read sort of news. vaguely aware of it. They're like, should I get it? So I want to be clear on this. Um, if you haven't already, go get the new booster. It's Why? specifically designed for the more recent variants. And there's lots of great data about how effective the new shot is. Oh, really? I mean, guys, this is my point. Do you think he believes that? Or is he just too stupid to know what he's saying? or to bl br blind or brainwashed. I mean, he just blatantly lied. And people watch this and walk away going, oh, okay, Chris said it was studied, so I know it's studied. Stupid people, I would argue, that are willing to blindly follow what somebody on a, on a talking head network has to tell them. But he is blatantly lying to you. ...designed for the more recent variants, and there's lots of great data about how effective the new shot is. Nope, not even remotely. The only data they have is about how the BA1, at the most, was not effective, had, had an effect, is the point, and it was still dangerous. And all they did was say, because we have that data from eight mice and small groupings, we're going to argue that this is okay.
That's the best you can say that by by assuming this data translates that it's as safe as BA1. That's the best you could actually say. I don't even think he knows that. I don't think he cares. Zainab Tufeki writes in the New York Times, quote, this bivalent character. Oh, and so his point to prove what he says is quoting what another journalist, rather writer for New York Times said. And that's his proof. Is that science? Does this writer know what the science says? Where's the link? Where's the source material? I can prove to you that both of them are wrong, but it doesn't matter. High-fiving across networks. New York Times said, therefore, we know for sure. Great data about how effective the new shot is. Zainab Tufeki writes in the New York Times, quote, this bivalent character will provide a better response to the most threatening variants today, but probably to future variants too. So you're just guessing. We're just guessing into the, into the ether will provide a better response. That's nowhere near proven. They do not know that. And it's not better if it doesn't apply. It may cause a larger response and produce a lot of things you don't need, but the reality is they don't know, and they've admitted that. Most threatening variants today. Probably everything ever, and you never die, too. Because when the immune system faces different versions of the same virus, it generates broader protections overall. That's what I mean, even if that's true, that's not what's happening to these people as we can watch them as they tell them you need to get the new booster or you're going to get it's going to get worse. Get updated with the new booster. If that statement's true, why would they need new boosters? That's key as we head into the winter. If you're medically eligible, you and everyone you know should get the booster, the bivalent booster. There is so much more we can do to drive down this intolerable rate of COVID death in this country day after day of 500 people we're losing. But this- I mean, you see, they're just, they're just banking on the idea that these stated ideas are fact, despite the fact that we know PCR tests are not exact, despite the fact that we know there's a huge level of false positives, despite the fact that we know they conflate flu and pneumonia, despite the fact that we know that they're super liberal with the numbers and you can come in with a broken leg and later die of COVID and they call it a COVID death. We know all of this. They've had to admit it, but yet we are at a point where they're barely clinging on to 500 a day and act and, and, and meanwhile, there's plenty of other things that are causing far more damage than that. And even that number is not accurate because they've admitted it's not. We know for sure. Now, I can't tell you exactly to what degree, but they've admitted all the things I just said as easily provable facts for your safety, of course. But then acting like that number is absolute when they want to suppress your life. This person has no clue about that. I would argue they don't even care. Go get the shot, though, right? As somebody's in the chat, this is a commercial. That's not news. That's a commercial. That's selling you. Now, one of the reasons I think this might have happened, guys, is they knew and they very quickly saw that nobody was doing this. They maybe hoped the new shot idea would sell people, but they very quickly saw that even the people they thought were on their side were like, I don't know about this. I'm going to wait and see what happens. So what do they do? They roll out their geriatric manipulator and go, hey, it's over, guys. And then they can go, oh, it's Biden's fault. Biden said it's over, and that's why no one's getting it. That's what they're doing. I don't know if that was why they did it, but that's what they're doing. The U.S. ordered 171 million booster shots. Not boosters, but here's what's interesting. Why would they only order 171 if the argument was everyone needed one? Yeah, right? Last time they ordered like 500 million, right? It's way over. what we, The point is they would usually order over, but in any case, they just got 171, but only 4.4 million have been given. No, yes, it's only just beginning, but in past examples of this, let's say going back to the beginning, way more jumped to the beginning. But it says, as Biden says, it's over. Now you can read into this and they'll say, make the point many times. Biden's inaccurate statement that's been fact-checked and everyone says he's wrong. 
then why would we listen to him tomorrow when he says something else? <laughs> don't, don't think that far ahead. But Biden said it, and that's why people have been convinced that it's over and it's his fault. So pandemic fatigue or whatever they're calling it. I feel like this has been self-serving on purpose to, play, to blame the fact that no one cares and believes them anymore with just Biden saying the wrong thing. But again, as I just played a moment ago, the chief U- the WHO's chief scientists already admitted they don't even know if these things will, quote, translate into any kind of clinical efficacy. That is the simple reality. So if we don't know if it's going to have any actual efficacy in the context of helping against what they say is there, at the very best, it could do nothing. At the worst, it could cause a whole lot of problems that we're seeing in the world right now. I don't know why people would take that chance, but here's what Martin Kuldroff points out. As somebody I definitely recommend you follow, Harvard professor, I guess was or may eventually, every one of these people are being attacked because of what they're choosing to tell the truth about. He says a shocking realization during the pandemic is the lack of political leaders capable of independent thinking with information from multiple sources. I argue not just leader, political leaders, media, anybody, doctors, scientists, they talk and follow each other. Heard thinking at the highest level. That's dangerous. I agree with that. And the point he's making there is these people might not even realize they're doing that. They've been so convinced and socially engineered in these groupings of people and thinking that they're all the smart group and they're the elitists and they know better. So they just, they fall into this group think mentality. We saw that rampantly during the midst of the height of the COVID-19 illusion. His point though, is that's what we see from people like this. Where was it, right? From people like Chris Hayes is that they're just dutifully saying what they think they're supposed to say. Group think, and they might not even realize they're wrong. But it's the epitome of ignorance. Now, other than the variant evolution, if you think that's what's happening, which even if it's not, their own narrative sets it up to be, why would you take this if there's going to be a new thing tomorrow? Well, maybe it goes a different direction. Because guess what? Fear, 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 new thing, danger. When this is, this is like saying, there's a new thing over here that is completely Un, there's no reason to think it's going to be dangerous tomorrow. There's no reason to think that it could suddenly even hurt humans. There's no reason to think this is even potentially the, I mean, nothing about this other than it exists over there in a cave is what, that's the only reason they're sharing this because it could do that and it might cause a problem. Well, guess what? You could make a story like this about literally every possible thing out there. Viral threat, the sun says. New COVID-like virus. That's why they're pushing it. Discovered in a bat, and that's also why they're pushing it. Raised fears it could infect humans. This was the 23rd. This is just keeping you hyped about the biosecurity state. Scientists in the U.S. have warned that an illness could be resistant to current vaccines. Well, of course it would. This is not even the current. This is something different. That's like saying, oh, no, the the Ebola virus might be resistant to your your, your coronavirus vaccine. You'll see why they're making this argument, though, because this is one big selling commercial point for why they need universal vaccines. Oh, weird. You mean exactly what Fauci and everybody else says they need? They were probably literally set to do this by those people. I don't know for sure, but it seems pretty telling when they make these advertisements and act like they're journalists. But it says down here, this new development adds to a growing body of evidence that that Sabe covirus or uh, what was it? Sabe coviruses, I guess, something like that. Sarbaco viruses. Members of the coronavirus family are rife across Asia and Eastern Europe, which, by the way, they always have been. So why today? What's the new thing? Well, guess what? Nothing. It's just there. And since we'd like to talk about new dangerous things that might one day be problems, let's just make a big, it's like a spotlight story. Oh, let's look at this thing over here. Let's all scream about how dangerous this could be one day. 
study lead author Mike, Dr. Michael Letko of Washington State University said, our research further demonstrates that sarbacoviruses are circulating in wildlife outside of Asia. Okay, even in places like Western Russia, where the Costa 2 virus was found, also pose a threat to global health and ongoing vaccine campaigns against SARS-CoV-2. Why? What do you mean they pose a threat? How exactly? Because they circulate in animals in some place over here, like a zillion other things do? I'm not seeing the connection. And guess what? You won't either, because there's not one. The exact origin of the virus is not even clear, and are currently being investigated by a team in the WHO, which, by the way, they do all the time. The only difference is that they're highlighting it in a journal or in a, in a, in a article and shouting it out to you. The WHO, these investigative teams, they do this all over the world. That's supposed to be their quiet behind the scenes action where they keep tabs on certain things and blah, blah, blah. But the fact that they're doing that and going, this is a, a worry, is about keeping you in the mindset that this is going to be the next thing. Or it could be. The researchers said that their findings highlight the importance of developing a vaccines here we go, that cover a broad spectrum of viruses, not just one lineage like COVID-19. Isn't that perfectly on the nose? You mean, you mean exactly like we're dealing with right now? Oh my gosh, what a perfect time to put this out there. You know, because we're struggling with the variant. We just need to make a new one. Here's an idea. Let's make a universal vaccine that applies to all things. I mean, you could, it's, it like hurts me how obvious this is. You might, I can see Fauci's fingers on this. He added, unfortunately, many of our current vaccines are designed to specific viruses. I mean, unfortunately, you mean like literally everything before the mRNA platform? We know, in fact, human cells are those that seem to pose the biggest risk. They're, they're aiming this at the people that have like come up during this COVID era and don't know any better. They think that that's how all of them are supposed to be. Why wouldn't all of them work for everything else? It says, quote, but that is a list that's ever changing. We need to broaden the design of these vaccines to protect against all Sabri coronaviruses. So I keep saying it wrong. Sabre coviruses. Sarbe, Sarbe coviruses. <laughs> it's a weird name. In recent years, hundreds of Sarbe coviruses have been found, mainly in bats in Asia. Right. So why weren't they screaming years ago? Isn't that telling? Right? So they scream, we found them years ago. So if there was so what's changed then? Right? If it was a danger, they would have been years ago going, Oh my god, these viruses we just found, they're there. But they didn't. You know why? Because there's no reason to say that. The reason they're doing it now is because the world has changed. They want these things in your mind. Otherwise, how do you explain that? If it was a risk, it would have been a risk then. It's no more a risk now than it was then. They just want to put this in your mind. In most cases, they're able to infect humans and initially cost a one and two where viruses were not a threat. Initially. But then doesn't go on to make it clear why they are now, apparently. That's a very self-serving sentence. Writing in the journal... PLOS path pathogens, medics said Costa 2 demonstrated troubling traits. Well, why? This is because, this is like COVID-19, of course. It also uses, get this, guys, a spike protein to infect human cells. Hmm. Maybe we start asking whether this is another gain-of-function game that we're playing. Further tests by the team found that antibodies were ineffective against serum from patients who had previously been infected by Omicron. Why are you, what's the argument here? Why wouldn't you do it against common cold or any other coronavirus? Why would you choose Omicron? And why would you even assume or pretend that an injection for Omicron would have any effect on some completely different thing? I mean, if we're right now making a new injection for a sub-variant of Omicron because the original doesn't work and we're talking about Omicron and then you're going, oh, it's a whole new family that's just moderately connected to Omicron or to coronavirus, that you're going to pretend that that somehow would work? 
Like, this is just clumsy. It says, while it lacks some genes that COVID has, there's a risk it could combine with Omicron. (laughs) So there's no, like, that's like a, there's a, there's a chance that anything anywhere could combine. It's certainly a possibility, but it lacks the genes that it needs to do so. But there's a risk. You know why they don't go into that? Because it's such a minute impossibility that never happens that they just want to keep it in your mind. Quote, then there are other viruses like Costa too, waiting in those animals with these properties we really don't want them to have. It sets up this scenario where you keep rolling the dice until they combine to make a potentially riskier virus. Yeah, in other words, you know, natural evolution of life. Whether or not we're there. Right, okay, but we're... So the point is, life is dangerous. Exactly. What do we need to do about that? Yeah, exactly. You know where they're going with this already. But rolling the dice, right? Because mRNA technology is not rolling the dice or rolling out a new booster shot. It's not a booster. Without testing. That's not rolling the dice. No, we know that's safe, even though we haven't tested and don't know if it's safe. But they want to pretend that rolling the dice is not taking preemptive action about things that we have no clue will ever eventually be dangerous. This is what they've always been writing about. The WHO, the HHS, the BMJ, calling out their pandemics of fear. Talking about not... Uh, what's the word they use? Um, let me see if I can even pull that up real quick. Nah, I don't want, I'll take too much time. The argument that what they do and have always done is stress the worst case scenarios and take action based on that instead of measured response. That's what it was. They, they used to call this out and they're still doing it. Worst case scenarios, this thing that we have no reason to think can be dangerous. It could be. So let's take extreme action now. That's self-serving, disease-expert-focused agendas here. They don't need to do this, but that's what they do. And here is Taylor Hudak pointing out one part of the amazing Dr. Bender interview where she asked him point blank, do you think that mRNA will be the future? And listen to his response about why. This is the rolling the dice. Using this stuff now, knowing that this is dangerous, and for the future. Are you concerned that mRNA technology could be used for other vaccines or other health intervention? Yes, we already know that, that of course, as I said, for the manufacturer, of course, this is cheap and they can be produced rapidly, much, much more rapidly than uh, classical vaccines. So there is obviously, they obviously want to replace all common vaccines by RNA-based injections. Uh, this is interesting from their point of view. And they go even further. Now that, that one RNA injection is approved, they say, oh, well, every other RNA injection is the same, the same lipid nanoparticles. So they, we do not even need a further regulatory studies. We can just approve all these. And this, of course, is totally wrong. Because even if they choose not a toxic foreign protein, for example, an antigen on the surface of influenza against influenza, the toxicity of the lipid nanoparticles of the modified RNA, and of course, this autoimmune reaction against the spike protein expressing cells will be the same in each and every RNA injection. Exactly. So we must not only stop these COVID vaccines, we must stop all RNA injections until until we, we, we really know much more for 10 years or so. Maybe then we can debate again when, when, when we have more information and something. So this is important that, that, that we must stop all RNA injections. 
Completely agree. But as he even made clear in that when he was discussing the middle part there, it's not just the mRNA injection part of this. It's, it's, the, it's those that are the biggest issue for sure. But make sure you check this out. Here's the link to the entire show. Just always doing a great job. Very important story. But here is the mRNA part of this, or at least one new study that's in a long list of them that continues to show you how dangerous these things are. This is from an Australian review. This doctor is pointing this out. Thank you, Paul, for posting this. Here's the link down here. Let's take a look at this study. As he says, and I'll just read it, an abundance of studies. Well, first, I'll read, that's right, I want to read the abstract first. So this is COVID-19 Vaccines and Australian Review in the Journal of Clinical and Experimental Immunology. That says, after millions of people have been vaccinated as often as four times in a year, the effects of these vaccinations are slowly becoming apparent. And they really are to everybody, whether or not they want to point it out in the corporate media. Those re- this review has been written from an Australian perspective with the main focus on the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines. We, we will look at a promise predictions originally made at the promises predictions originally made and the actual facts. We will evaluate the safety and efficacy by looking at the literature and the data from government agencies. The literature review will be summed up in a table listing the so far reported side effects of which many are very serious, including death. And this data coming from 1,011 case reports. Long-term side effects will also be covered, and the risk-benefit ratio will be explored. This review is ending with some very cr- critical question, critical questions that need further discussion. Now I'm going to go through likely in more depth, but I want to just play the, show this first part that he references in his tweet. This, this is under the, uh, pr- uh, where is it, protection, I guess the protection category. But here's what it says. A worldwide Bayesian... Oh, son of a gun. I still know where it is. Hold on. A worldwide Bayesian causal impact analysis. So different... So uh, they've used different terms and different, you know, um, analysis version uh, uh, styles, I guess. But uh, uh, Dr. Mercola and others have done similar work in using these, in, these basically ways you can prove causal causality and they there's many examples of how this is being shown and this is one of them it says a worldwide beijing causal impact analysis suggests that covid19 gene therapy mrna vaccine causes more covid19 cases per million and more non-covid deaths per million than are associated with covid19 an abundance of studies has shown that the mRNA vaccines are neither safe nor effective, but outright dangerous. Never in vaccine history have we seen 1,011 case studies showing side effects of a vaccine. And they give you a link to this, which I'll show you next. Now, to be clear, those that are going to take issue with this statement because they've been, uh, you know, steeled against that. Right. They've been they've been you've been prepared to push back on that. Don't forget that this is what they called it before COVID-19 injections came out. This is what even Merck's own, I believe, CEO, or at least somebody at a high-level position, spoke on the record, saying that he was surprised that people took gene therapy injections for as these COVID-19 shots because he thought people would give more pushback. They all know this because that's what this is. There's no denying it. But the, the point that they can find this in a massive study, it just continues to show you this is that easy to see if you just care to look at it. Now, here is what they reference. COVID scientific, COVID vaccine, scientific proof, lethal. Now you can read, this is from January 5th. Now, regardless of what you think about the outlet or what you think about who put it up there, what you think about anybody involved, you have, and this is, let's see, how many? Oh, that's right. It's, it's, I think this is the 1,000. Let's see. Let's make sure it's the same amount. 
1,011, right there. 1,011 case reviews, all linkable, all many peer-reviewed discussions, and you could read every single one for yourself. Every single one. So the person that would read this and go, oh, it was stated by this guy, so he fake news because I know his word or whatever. That's a stupid person. You might, you still may be right, and maybe it is wrong. But the point is that here is the source material. You can look at them and you can prove them for yourself. All of them, all of them are finding that these are dangerous. That's, I mean, it's just mind blowing. How can you trust the science but pretend that every uh, one thousand and eleven scientific studies are wrong? Now, a point that I keep seeing is this weird kind of like, there's a lot of discussions out there where people are focusing on something now where it, it's been out there this entire time, but in a weird focused way. And I don't understand what the, what the mindset is here. Here's Alex Bernson, who's been doing good work in COVID, who's arguing. He says, anyone who claims the United States has a crisis of vaccine denialism or rejection of standard childhood vaccines is lying. Well, that's just simply not true. I'm not saying I have the stance of somebody who might think that, you know, like an anti, literally against any vaccination. I'm against, I, I am very skeptical of anything coming from these institutions, from these groups like Pfizer and Merck or anybody else. But I've made, it, I've made my stance clear from the beginning. Some, similar to uh, RFK Jr. Where I believe if what I understand about this technology is correct, which is a huge if, that they could be done in a good way. But his point there is a strange stance to take, almost like he's so actively trying to argue that he's not anti-vax, therefore that there is no such thing. That You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's just not true. There's a huge grouping of people, and maybe rightly so, that are completely against any of this. And it's not vaccine denialism. It's just, the, in their mindset, it's the obvious reality, like we're seeing COVID-19 injection. So it's a strange stance to take from someone who's also seeing the COVID injection part of it. But he says, American parents are highly willing to vaccinate their kids. That's not true. Like, some of them, yes. But there's a huge grouping of people, and we can literally see that right now with other injections because of COVID-19. And rates have risen lately, it says. Now, the point here is that people in this country, in a large way, are very skeptical about a lot of this stuff and have a right to be. But his point is that the mRNA shots are the problem, nothing else. And it just makes me sad to see. Nothing else? I mean, okay, so how, if mRNA is the only problem, how do you explain why AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson were very dangerous? Because they were. And they even admitted those first because they were hoping you would stop paying attention. I do very clearly think the mRNA is the, is the point. The mRNA platform, the, the digital future, the bioeconomy, all of it ties together. But to pretend that nothing else is dangerous? How about the MR, MMR shot? I mean, there's an, I mean, talk to Del Bigtree. He'll give you some insight, but apparently he's a conspiracy theorist to these people. I don't understand that. You can't argue that literally no other thing is problematic. You can go back to the beginnings and polio shots and, and smallpox. I mean, look at the smallpox injection. It's, it's called the most dangerous vaccine for a reason. Like, it's just kind of crazy to not be willing to open your mind to the bigger picture. You know, sort of the way that he seemingly refuses to acknowledge that his ridiculous, archaic ca cannabis coverage has any bearing in current reality. Even though the, it's information coming from the same people in many cases that he's calling out for COVID lies. But when you ask about cannabis, you're a maniac if you think cannabis is not the most dangerous thing in the world. I shouldn't say that. That's not exactly what he says. But the point that I've asked blatantly, like, you know, 
how can you argue like gateway theory or any of these schizophrenia? These things are not true. And I've gone through it extensively. But in any case, I think it's interesting that we can argue that nothing else is the problem. We need to broaden our minds and realize that just because it's something else that's also not considered acceptable in current conversation in the corporate discussion, that doesn't mean it's therefore not real. They're the ones that didn't want us talking about mRNA injections or myocarditis. So that same stance, you could argue that that's fake news because they don't want you talking about it. The idea that maybe all injections ever are dangerous is something we should be asking ourselves to just reflexively not to act like it's fake and you're not even going to get into it. That doesn't seem right to me. I'll leave that to you guys to decide. But there's a lot of this happening. Here's another example of something that just came out, which I think this is important, but it's getting a lot of a coverage in the corporate media, like on Fox, which is weird because it's something that you know we were screaming about, myocarditis being a problem for a long time. But you know why I think this one made the rounds? Because of the, what the actual conclusion says. Now, the conclusion regularly says things that are slightly different than what the findings usually are. I'll show you that in a second. But this silently says outcomes at least 90 days since onset of myocarditis after mRNA COVID-19 vaccination in adolescents and young adults in the U.S., a follow-up surveillance study. Now, yes, there's some important information in here, and it should be included in the larger discussion. But you know what's far, far, far more important than this one, in my opinion, is even the last one we just went over. And now it's going to bring it up. <laughs> I should have just had it open. This one we just talked about. There's a lot, a lot of far more important COVID-19, or excuse me, myocarditis studies that are far far more serious and obvious but this one i find even more important this is the one finding that these antibodies that, that essentially the injections removing the antibodies that help reduce your inflammation which leads to myocarditis this is huge and very this is far more relevant in my opinion but this one gets focused on by people like tucker carlson and it's just huge all of a sudden the whole discussion on everyone oh my god myocarditis is real but why is this one being the, let me show you why i think Here's what the interpretation says. After at least 90 days since the onset of myocarditis, after mRNA COVID-19 vaccination, most individuals in our cohort were considered recovered by healthcare providers. And quality of life measures were comparable to those in pre-pandemic and early pandemic populations of similar age. Really? These findings might not be generalizable given the small sample size and so on. Okay, so there's a lot of ways they can dismiss this and already are. And giving them this as the main one that settles the argument allows them to pretend that it's not that serious. Yeah, we'll admit that myocarditis is happening. Fine, you got us. But guess what? Most everybody goes back to normal, so shut up. Yeah, that's what they're already saying, by the way. Except when you dive into the other research and realize that it's not like that, that the, that the reality that 26 to 55% of anybody that gets diagnosed with myocarditis, and specifically fulminant, non-serious versions, increase their mortality by the numbers I just said. Except disjointed. 26 to 55% increased mortality in the next 10 years for anybody that has even a small, mild case of myocarditis. There is no such thing as not serious in regard to heart problems. But this comes to the conclusion that, oh, don't worry, it all goes back to normal. And wonder why that's the one everybody points at. That's the one the corporate media circulates as the bombshell instead of this one from the New England Journal of Medicine we just talked about, or the last 15, or the ones that Dr. McCullough keep pointing out. All of these are far, far, far more relevant to me. But I find it telling. Here's what I just thought it was funny to include. Somebody posted this one on that same post on Instagram. What's crazy about Tucker is just how far behind he is. TLF, thank you, has been covering this for years now. This isn't new, and the studies aren't just coming in now, which is what he's been saying. And there's no such thing as mild myocarditis, which he's been saying, since the heart doesn't repair itself. The increased risk of dying after myocarditis is three to four fold, 
And that's not even considering the damaging effects the shot has on the immune system. After just a few months, it has negative efficacy, meaning you could be even more likely to get sick than if you had no shots. This was in the trial data and was also known. Yes, exactly. So it's interesting to ask the question, why are they being allowed to have these conversations? And why aren't they focusing on all of it? Right? Here is a post from, in regard to Australia from Jose. Large excess deaths. 65% non-COVID. It doesn't fit the narrative. This is in Australia. That's, and that's because it, of the sequela of, of previous COVID infections. Or it's not. Excess deaths have been occurring since at least M May 2021. While there have been no significant COVID infections until the end of December 2021. There's no way you can make this about like the ongoing COVID problem. If that's what you even pretend is happening. Every place you look at has an explosion of this excess death. And even people that once were saying the narrative are now going, there's something wrong here. Everybody should be able to see this by now. And sad things like this, where you can see this just huge square full of people with serious death and dying from COVID injections, of you know, disability. Very sad. This should send a shiver down anyone's spine, it says. Three town thread of unfortunate coincidences. This is happening all around the world. I don't think anybody is it, it, completely unaware of what is at least being stated is happening. Now, here's Dr. Michael Yeadon telling you that this is something that he believes is intentional. I do, too. Literally good versus evil at this point. With you, They know what's happening. At some level, people are very aware of what they're doing. I don't see how it, they cannot. Clinical trials were fraudulent. There are court cases ongoing right now. The manufacturing was fraudulent. They didn't do the production R&D required. It would take at least two years to do that. Um, the, that, that means the regulatory authorizations were fraudulent. Uh, so FDA and CDC, the, U, the European Medicines Agency, the MHRA in Britain, they've all behaved fraudulently, pretty much by closing their eyes and just rubber stamping it. So they've not been tested. They're not safe. They don't work. It could never have worked in the elderly, and yet they are toxic. And then I talked at length, and I won't bore you with it again, that the very design of them could not have been more dangerous. They picked the only part of this purported pathogen, the spike protein, to express in your bodies. Your bodies are turned into a spike protein factory, and spike proteins are definitely acutely toxic in loads of different ways. Uh, autoimmunity, blood clots, neurological problems, impacts on fertility and so on. So, so I've told you that they've created the impression of a scare. They've smashed the economy and civil society using useless measures. They've got you to wait for a rushed uh, so-called vaccine that was not shown to be uh, effective or safe, that never could have worked, even if the original setup about a virus, a viral threat was correct. And yet they've jabbed, I don't know, 4 billion, 6 billion poor souls. Uh, something like one in a thousand people have died. Um, we don't know how many more will die, but we're into double figures of millions who've definitely been killed as a consequence of this policy. And that tells you that the people who are doing this are, are ruthless, I would say diabolical. That we're beyond good and good and good and wrong and right. Okay. We're, we're in, the, we're in the good versus evil. I'm not, I've not been a religious person, but I'm absolutely clear in my mind. The only people, the kind of, planning and thinking it takes to have done what has happened are people who who would who would worship satan they're not normal people i couldn't do one part of this and continue to be alive i'll try i've done it now that last part i'm sure is going to scare away people from you know 
considering what he's saying just because it sounds over the top. But the point is, he's just going to the extreme. He like I get where he's at. Like I just if when you see how undeniable this is, how how very clearly the conscious choice was made, knowing it would kill people, knowing it would be dangerous, knowing in a thousand different ways from remdesivir to you know all these different things. There's no way you can walk away at some level not thinking like that. Like it doesn't have to be Satan. It could be. I just these people are out of their minds. These people are sociopathic, possibly psychopathic, or they just don't care about human life. But you can see how how somebody in this position will be driven to seek out some kind of explanation. These people are literally evil. Certainly possible. Which brings us to the next part about how this has been used and manipulated. And we're talking about the Red Cross and the blood and plasma donation discussion, which I've already very clearly, in my opinion, proven. And I'll play the I'll play this video for you again. But so I, I like I said before, I had an entire segment lined up for new information that I did lose, m- much of which I wasn't able to get back after the my last computer just randomly crashed and never was able to come back online. So I decided to kind of put it aside because it frustrated me. I didn't want to have to dig. It's like writing a writing a, 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 a article again after you actually deleted it all. Like you, I can't ever do that. I feel like you're just half hearting it. But I saw this today or rather a couple days ago when somebody shared it with me and it just frustrated me that they were making this statement. So I decided to do this again. So a lo- some of it you've seen before, much of it you haven't. The point is to prove not only that they ult- that they had a reason to say that you're not allowed to do this if you have injections, then they changed the verbiage, then they deleted it entirely. Now what they say they always did is completely proven to be wrong based on what I'm about to show you. So however you look at this, they're lying to you. The question is why? That's all I'm trying to get people to see. Why would they lie about the process? And why would she say what she said to me on the phone and then completely change it? Even as we're going to prove to you that the evidence that's around all of this from people involved in the Crick Institute about Pfizer and people across the board will tell you that it does remove the antibodies from your blood. So either they're wrong, lying, however you want to look at it, none of this adds up. So as always, come to your conclusions about what you're looking at here, but it's pretty interesting. So American Red Cross post on September 7th. George, this guy here, was a survivor of a bad car crash as a teenager. His doctor said he wouldn't have been possible without blood donors. Since then, George was given back-to-back, has been basically donating his whole life. So they're kind of going, yay, you know, donating, good. This person chimes in on the 12th and simply asks, is COVID vaccinated blood labeled as such? What What if you need blood and you don't want vaccinated blood? Interesting, and it's also interesting how low the engagement is from such a huge account. Five million followers. In any case, the interesting part about this is people might think that sounds wrong. Think about it for a second and ask yourself how that could possibly, like it, you can argue it's from some kind of a, you know, um, not what's the word I'm looking for, discriminatory kind of a stance. Which is funny how it's okay to discriminate against the unvaccinated, but you can't do oh, it was bad to do that. But what's, what's interesting, though, is that we're talking about a genetic s- substance. It very clearly is a gene. I mean, you can't argue that mRNA is not gene therapy. They will try to argue that the, the injections are not gene therapy, but that falls flat because of a thousand reasons I've already went over. But that's their, that's their defining difference right there. Yeah, sure, mRNA is genetic therapy, but not the vaccine. That's what they claim. Regardless, we're talking about genetic material, right? We're talking about lipid nanoparticles, mRNA, spike proteins. Fine. Then we can prove to you, which I will in a moment for the thousandth time, that this does go through your bloodstream. 
So it doesn't matter whether you think it's just, just being precautious or because you think that it's going to kill you or because you just don't want something that's been contaminated. Like these are valid reasons to ask that question. Of course it is. But the way they respond is very telling. They say, we don't label blood products as containing vaccinated or unvaccinated blood. First of all, that's crazy, especially since what we're talking about is something that is noticeably different. But it says, as the COVID-19 vaccine does not enter the bloodstream. That's actually what the Red Cross said on September 13th. Even though that's the easiest thing in the world, this is them either knowingly lying or holding on to the narrative that they've just accepted as the reality without trying to keep themselves updated about what changes. And they say, poses no safety risk to the recipient. Well, that's just simply not true. And I'll prove this all to you. If you have safety concerns about potential blood transfusions, please speak to the medical team. Okay. Everybody down here is going, you're dumb, you're crazy, here's proof, here's a study, blah, 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 on and on and on. Well, the one that I've shown many times, and there is a whole bunch out there. This goes all the way back to February 15, 2022. Vaccine antigen detected in the plasma of mRNA-1273 vaccine recipients. Now, to be clear, blood and plasma are different. Plasma is in blood, so often they get conflated, and you can, but... To be clear, plasma is a part of blood, essentially. I forget the, the term they used, but you can take plasma donations, you can take blood donations, and so on, just so that's clear. So in the plasma, which also means it was in the blood, they found spike protein. And the point is, it says right here, 11 of 13 people involved, they found detectable levels of the spike protein as early as one day after the vaccine injection. There's plenty of other science, by the way, that I'm not going to get into that continues to show you that it continues to make spike proteins. Actually, the one I will grab real quick. I'm just remembering off the top of my head, this is one that they just put out, a newest one, newer one, that gets into the immune suppression, but also that it does continue to make spike proteins. This one was April 15th, peer-reviewed, and it says the spike protein is neurotoxic and impairs, this is important anyway, uh, let's see, promotes sustained synthesis of the spike protein. Okay, this is a peer-reviewed on Science Direct. It's one of the highest levels you get. Okay, you can't keep pretending that it only matters with the ones, you know, oh, well, it's peer-reviewed. They have, you know, like, so you accept peer-review when it's what you like, but when you don't, you go, well, it's peer-reviewed by the wrong people. That's just kindergarten level, guys. That's ridiculous. You can, I, you can be honest about it and realize that peer-review doesn't mean absolute, that you should question everything like a grown-up would. But the bottom line is they're the ones arguing peer-reviewed, so you have to at least accept this as possible. They just don't want to. It's just childish stomping their feet. My ball, I'm going home kind of stuff. But innate immune suppression. So we know the peer-reviewed science has found that it does circulate your bloodstream. So spike proteins in your blood. I mean, that's the first thing we look at. So is American Cross, the American Red Cross lying? No. However you want to look at this, that's dangerous. They either don't care or don't know. And they're the ones not labeling blood. They're the ones giving these things, taking these things. And they don't care or know. That should be scary. That's the scary level of manipulation we're seeing in real time today. So it does circulate your blood for sure. Here's some more examples. This is from judicialwatch.org. Thank you, because I had all this saved, but I, again, lost it, a lot of stuff with my last computer. And again, that's why I think Judicial Watch is so important, because they just have these documents that you can find. Eventually, they'll probably go after their servers like they are with us. But it says right here, and this is under the BNT126B2. That's the, that's the Pfizer Biotech injection. Under distribution, it says using in vivo bioluminescence after injection. Protein expression was detected at different time points at the site of injection and to a lesser extent 
and more transiently in the liver. Okay, guys, explain for me how it can get to your liver from your shoulder muscle without going through your blood. Hmm, that's a tough one. It says distribution to the liver is likely mediated by the lipid nanoparticles entering the bloodstream. I mean, it's just so stupid. This is from a long time ago. So are they, do they not care? Or do they not know? Either one is very concerning. It's amazing, right, that we can be pointing at such real-time information from Pfizer's own discussion, own documentation, and the Red Cross doesn't know, doesn't care. Here's another one. This is the one I've shown you many times, except it's a new link, so save it. It's from Judicial Watch. Total lipid not concentration. So remember, if the lipid nanoparticles are found, that's also that's, it, that includes the mRNA instructions to make the spike protein. After 48 hours, that's just this farthest category, there was, uh, what is this? I forget the metric here. I think it's milliliter. Yeah, it says uh, lipid equivalent or milliliter. In any case, it's the net metric they're using, 12.3 in the ovaries, which is crazy higher than almost anything else except the spleen, which is 23.4. Compared to everything else, that is crazy. 0. 0.0 point, maybe one. That's wild. So either way you look at it, guys, every single one of these is showing some concentration, which means this goes all around your body. Muscle, pancreas, pituitary gland, prostate glands, small intestine, spinal cord, everywhere. So let's pretend it stays in your shoulder muscle still. Shoulder, shoulder muscle still. Well, that's what the Red Cross is positing, I guess. That's what their car that doesn't, does not go in your blood. Wow. Well, here is another study from Science Direct. It's March 17, 2022. Now, there's a lot of other stuff in here. The main one I'm showing you, just to make this point, as it says right here, vaccine spike antigen and mRNA persist for weeks in lymph nodes. Again, are we going to pretend that it goes from your shoulder muscle to your lymph nodes without going through your bloodstream? Here is Healthline from June 23rd, 2022. Why it's safe to receive blood from donors who've been vaccinated. Well, here's how they try to play this game. Okay, well, they're trying to argue, first of all, by saying it's an airborne virus. Is it? It's weird how their narrative is just whatever. It's just whatever they want. It can't be transmitted by contact with the blood is inf if infected. Okay, so is the is the only risk we're talking about getting COVID nineteen? If that's even what's top what we're talking about, that's what they're pretending. So they're arguing the only reason we're worried about taking blood from vaccinated people is because you might get COVID nineteen. Well, that's quite the assumption. That's not even what we're arguing. But you see, this is how they fact check these things. Same reason they use a, a Facebook post and act like they debunked it by really not even getting into the actual argument. It says, similarly, the COVID-19 vaccine doesn't transfer from a blood donor to a person who's receiving a transfusion. Okay, this is nothing to do with what we're arguing. The main point, bottom line, COVID vaccine doesn't contain an infectious and harmful form of COVID-19. Good, who cares? Probably does, though. That's not even what we're talking about. I shouldn't say who cares. I argue there's plenty of examples that have shown that people do get sick from this, but that's, that's another point. It can't cause an infection in a vaccinated person or who receives trans... Well, that's actually not true. It very clearly does increase your risk of general infection, but they're, they're implying COVID-19 infection. But the real point is not about this, is it? It's about the spike protein. It's about the nanoparticles, it's about the mRNA instructions. They're, they're playing dumb. They know damn well that's what we're talking about. That's how they fact check this stuff. Well, it seems that, funny enough, they just were previously making this argument. I guess they just switched over to pretending that it's only about getting sick from this. But here's what they were saying before. Claims that COVID vaccine spike proteins are harmful are unevidenced. And once they got proven, I guess they just quietly put it to bed. 
says there is some evidence that the spike proteins generated by, in this case, Moderna, leave the site of injection. So in the previous debunk about how the spike protein is not dangerous, they admit that it doesn't stay in your shoulder muscle. But then I guess they put that to bed and went right back to saying, no, it doesn't because it's not dangerous. And then they can say, no, it's not. In the it's, I mean, my God, how does this happen? This is so dumb. This is from 2021 where they're literally admitting that it does leave the injection site. It does go in your bloodstream, guys. But so now I guess the switchover as well, it's about the spike protein not being toxic. No evidence spike proteins from COVID vaccine. You're toxic. Well, yeah, there is. There's a lot. It says there's no proof. Well, it's weird. You argue no evidence up here. Then you say no proof. That's quite a different thing. I'm sure the fact checkers for Reuters are very aware of that, I guess. Great fact checkers that conflate the word proof and evidence, right? But it says that spike proteins created in response to mRNA vaccines, it's a weird way to write that, are harmful to the body. No proof, they say except right here <laughs> and a thousand other things I could show you. But here's the funny part about this. The reason I used that one is because the Salk Institute is very highly regarded. April 30th is when they said this. April or June 15th is when this was written. Okay, so you're telling me in the extensive due diligence by Reuters fact checkers that they somehow missed the gigantic Salk Institute that quite literally argued against what they just said? No, they don't care it's there. Their job is to sow you a narrative about conflating information, not actually fact-checking. Because if they actually cared to fact-check, they would have included that the Salk Institute said in the new study, you know, April 30th, they proved the spike protein alone was enough to cause disease. Tissue samples showed inflammation in endothelial cells lining the pulmonary artery walls, which means that the spike protein, whether through injection, whether through getting sick, or however other means, it doesn't matter how, whether shedding from your body and landing in that, which is also shown to happen, that can spread and can be shed independent of everything else, and then be caught and then cause illness. That's what they're saying right there. So why did Reuters say a month later, months later, that there's no evidence that it could be toxic? Well, that's exactly what they found because they're simply lying to you. I don't know how else to read that. Now here, fact check, Red Cross is accepting plasma from people vaccinated against COVID-19, May 4th, 2021. Well, okay, let's go through this. Because the argument is that it stays in your blood, and they're very clearly wrong about that. So let's go through the real story about what Red Cross was saying and why this was an obvious lie. The fact check just simply gets to a point to where it's kind of, the answer is actually not even yes. It's yes and no. And you'll see that even they have to say that. That they're saying, well, they stopped taking it, but they, were, they do take it in certain circumstances. Well, that's not necessarily accepting plasma from people vaccinated, is it? Here's what it says. The American Red Cross confirmed to Reuters on May 4th, 2021, that they are allowing people who have received COVID vaccines to donate plasma. Contrary to claims on social media, that this plasma is not being accepted because the vaccine is so untested. You see, this is how they do this. There's one thing they're pointing at that says it's so untested. What we're saying, and if they did frame it this way, it would be much harder to sell you on, that it's because people are vaccinated. That's the reality. That's really the point because vaccinated gets COVID-19. But when they settle it on so untested, they can debunk the idea that it's so untested, therefore debunking the entire thing, but not really. The real point is they're really trying to sell you on the idea that people are being able to do this because there's no risk. That's not even what they fact check. It says the American Red Cross is avoiding convalescent plasma from those vaccinated against COVID-19, but exceptions are made if the convalescent plasma is high in COVID-19 antibodies. How? That's not even remotely what they just said to you in the top. They still say false, by the way. 
So read the question again. Red Cross is accepting plasma from vaccinated people. And they say, yeah, they are. Contrary to what they're saying. Then at the bottom, they say that you're still, it's false, because they are. It says that it is accepting donations from people who are usually eligible for the vaccine. But then the very next sentence, again, says the American Red Cross is avoiding convalescent plasma from vaccinated people, but exceptions are made if it just happens to have high levels of antibodies. So that is straight up a mirage. I mean, that is a sleight of hand trick they just pulled on you right there. The reality is, and I'll prove to you why they frame it as high, because in the call I made to Red Cross, her her reasoning is that they injection or the blood, the plasma taken from vaccinated people, the, the antibodies aren't strong enough. So we can't use them. Just wait, I'll play it for you yet again. And that's why they say that, which, because the point is that they don't have high antibodies in people from vaccinated plasma. So that means they won't be an exception, but sure. Should there just so happen to be a high level of antibodies then we will take that. So the answer is we're not taking them because none of them have high levels of antibody. You see how that works? It's a sleight of hand. Now, if you don't get what I'm saying, you will soon. Here, as we go through this, is the proof. This is what it says today. This is the current version of this website. And you'll note that it says under vaccine blood donor eligibility that they, Red Cross is following. This is if you receive a vaccine, you will need to provide manufacturer. So you can't. This is what they're saying, essentially. You have to defer and wait and check and do different stuff. But sure, they'll take it from you. But what they don't have here anymore is the plasma, which I wonder why. Because do not misunderstand, there are hospitals all across the country still right now going, we need plasma, convalescent plasma. So they're kind of arguing, they don't say it right here, they don't even have a listing for it anymore, that they don't do it because there's not a need for it anymore. That's just simply not true. Why would they remove it, though? Because here's what it was before. Or technically, February 1st, 2021, they still didn't have it. There's no listing for plasma. But you jump to May 1st, 2021. Well, what do you know? COVID-19 vaccine and convalescent plasma donor eligibility. Just so we're clear again, you could see travel, vaccine and blood. Before February, there wasn't anything about plasma, which is strange to me. But here's what it says. And very clearly did say before they changed it. Individuals who have received a COVID-19 vaccine are not eligible are not able to donate convalescent plasma with the red cross simple period it goes on to say but they can do uh, other products and, and other platelets and stuff if they meet other donation credit you know eligibility and so on okay so this was may 1st 2021 which again is interesting in regard to the timing of when they say this so may 1st it's very clearly listed that they do not accept it On May 4th, they do a fact check that says, yeah, they are. Hmm, that's telling. Actually, I should have done that right here. Let me see if I can even do that real quick. See if we can't get to May 4th. I don't know if May 4th is in that. You don't always get every date on the Wayback Machine. But this is why this is so damn useful. There's that. Same one. Still says it. May 6th. Okay, well, let's see what it says. Aha! Good good thing we did that. Perfect. Check this out. For those in the podcast, going back, 
This is May 4th. Reuters is fact-checking whether or not they're allowing vaccinated people to be to give convalescent plasma. So explain for me how on May 6th, as you can see, it still says on the same site, individuals who have received COVID vaccines are not able to donate convalescent plasma, period. That's it. That's the end of it. There's no, that's it. There's not some kind of caveat there where they go, but they can do that. Nope. So how can they possibly lie to you like that? Did they not even look at the website? Because it was still there when they wrote this. That's crazy to me. But let's go forward. So May, on June 30th, 2021, it changed. Or somewhere around there. Now, then it said, as of June 30th forward, 2021, the Red Cross discontinued dedicated COVID-19 plasma donations on March 26th due to declining hospital demand and sufficient industry supply, which wasn't true right then and it's still not true now. I'll prove it to you. But explain to me how either one of those things relate or connect with what they're arguing here. That, yeah, they are. They're taking some, just not everybody. Neither one of those things say that. Neither one. May 6th, no, we're not taking any, period. June 30th, we're not taking any, period, but for different reasons. Because we don't need it anymore. None of these things say, yeah, we'll take some, but only if they have high antibodies. Why is that? Something very strange, right? There's dishonesty here. There's no denying that. Let's go, well, first of all, before we go forward, realize that as they're saying this here, we discontinued it. Why? Because of declining hospital demand, of course. Sufficient supply, of course. Okay, we'll explain this. Same time frame. Blood assurance and urgent need of convalescent plasma donations. That's weird, right? Life South puts out another another call for COVID convalescent plasma donations. South, uh, Life South. Oh, I think the same one. Yeah, Life South. Well, no, this was August. Uh, yeah, this was the next, the following week. It's later. So all this is within a month or two in regard to what we're talking about. Don't they're calling for more still a week a week later? Houston Methodist reviewing renewing calls. More calls for convalescent plasma. I guess you could go on and on. It's not hard to find this stuff. At the same time frame when they're going, nah, we don't need it. Nobody wants it. Declining hospital demand. You've got hospitals all over the country screaming they need more convalescent plasma. How does that make sense? Because we're being lied to. That means at some level, there's people involved that are well aware they're lying to you. Why would they do that? How can you even rationalize that for some greater good? Here is the Wayback Machine for June 12th, 2021 of a different page. This one is the uh, the donor. Let me open it real quick. Oh, wait, it's right here. So you can see the top. So this is the new donor vaccine guide before they changed it. Here's what it says. If you receive, and this is June 12th, 2021, if you receive any type of COVID vaccine, you are not eligible to donate convalescent plasma with the Red Cross, period. Same thing. However, you may be eligible to donate other products. So it's the same as before. Platelets, whole blood, and so on. But you cannot donate convalescent plasma. And again, I will tell you why. I will play her voice from the Red Cross telling you why. But what's strange to me is that none of this connects with their stated rationale, does it? Here, this is on my website, so you guys can download this, is what it says now. If you received a live attenuated COVID vaccine, you must wait two weeks. FDA allows people. Oh, that's strange. It's gone. It's no longer there. 
Is that interesting? We're here. Oh, and by the way, I should have had this further back in there. August 13, 2021. This is one of an endless procession of peer-reviewed science from all sorts of outlets telling you exactly the same thing. Ultra-potent antibodies against diverse and highly transmissible SARS-CoV-2 variants. Right here, our study demonstrates that convalescent subjects previously infected with an ancestral variant. So people that got sick in the beginning till now, or specifically they're referencing people that got sick in the beginning, produce antibodies that cross-neutralize emerging variants of concern with high potency, and they do get into Omicron. Structural and functional analyses reveal that antibody breath is mediated by targeted targeting a site of vulnerability at the RD, RBD tip offset from major mutational hotspots of variants of concern. Okay, so the point is that this does very clearly continue to create durable, robust, and lasting immunity against new variants of concern, right? So that's natural immunity. We're going to get into another point here about how we're showing that the injections removing that from even people with natural immunity. And that is why they don't want this stuff. And that's why they admit the antibodies, if they're even present, are too not strong enough if you've been injected. But you can see here with this study, what's showing you that if you haven't been injected and you have immunity in this case, that you're good. So that's why they want that for this situation, but not the vaccinated version. That's very clear. Now here is the, uh, the wait, I think I had this backwards. Let's see. No, that is the new donor one. Let me see. Make sure I'm not getting these mixed up. This one is, come on. Okay. Oh, this is, okay. This one is the answers to common questions about COVID-19 vaccines and blood. So all three of these pages are different, but they're all related and they all reference the same point. So here is this page under questions. And then we're going to go forward and show you why the same thing. Here's what it says. Our, and this is again, May 25th. So keep that in the reference point in regard to the fact checks. This is May 4th, May 25th. Are individuals who received a COVID-19 vaccine eligible to give COVID-19 convalescent plasma? Now it says, while the FDA allows people who have received a COVID vaccine to donate dedicated COVID-19 convalescent plasma within six months of their infection, Red Cross discontinued dedicated COVID-19 convalescent plasma donations on March 26th due to declining hospital demand. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. If they discontinued on March 26th, how can you argue that they were accepting these things in previous examples past that? Like the dates don't add up. Here is May 24th, and this one is uh, the current one. Where were we here? It says, declining hospital demand and insufficient industry supply, which I just showed you wasn't true. The Red Cross tests all blood donations for COVID-19 antibodies. Plasma from routine blood and platelet donations that test positive for high levels of antibodies and meets our requirements may be used. That's their, that's their weird sidestep. The reality is the people who have injections don't have strong enough antibodies. That's why they don't be, get used, but they don't say that. So the reality is they're not taking plasma from people that have injections. And that's why that said that before they were forced to remove it. It says the next question. I've heard claims that the Red Cross refuses to accept convalescent plasma from individuals who have received a COVID-19 vaccine because it wipes out antibodies. Is that true? And it says there are claims circulating incorrect that incorrectly state the Red Cross will not accept convalescent plasma donations from those who have received these injections because, and this is stated directly from that news report that cites the data, that vaccine wipes out those antibodies, making the convalescent plasma ineffective in treating other COVID-19 patients. You've heard that many times. This is not accurate, they claim. 
The FDA allows people who have received the COVID vaccine to donate dedicated COVID-19 convalescent plasma within six months of their infection of the virus based on the on data that antibodies from natural infection can decline after six months. No, and that's why I included this. That's not true. But what's interesting is they say, yeah, they can. But then they make it clear in every other point that we don't take them if they're not high enough, which means they're not taking any of them. The Red Cross discontinued dedicated COVID-19 plasma donations on March 26th due to decline, which again, you can prove that wasn't true well past March 26th due to declining hospital demand and insufficient industry supply. The the Red Cross tests are blood donations and COVID-19 antibodies. Test all of them. Plasma from routine blood and platelet donations that test positive for high levels of antibodies. High levels may be used. Now here on May 24th, as they're referencing March 26th here, and this was on May 25th, May 24th. Right, right. Okay, that's that's the connection here. So I'm just trying to remember how I lined this up. So this is May 25th where this is being stated. And they're saying, well, we allow them as long as it's got this level, right? Here is May 24th, one day before that, where they're literally saying the opposite on the Red Cross website. Those who receive the vaccine are not eligible to donate convalescent plasma. How does that make sense? Right? How can the next day you argue that's the case when they're right on the same website, they're saying we're not eligible. You're, be, you're catching them updating and altering things, and even their update doesn't align with the reality. Now, here is what it currently says. Heard claims that they were refusing to take it because it wipes out the antibodies. It says there are claims circulating that incorrectly state the Red Cross will not accept them because the vaccine wipes it out. This is not accurate. Due to the decline in hospital demand. Again, stating that they won't take them, but it says, and here's again, they, the dates change on everything they say. It says the Red Cross stopped collecting convalescent plasma completely on June 14th. So just, the, the dates don't align. The narrative doesn't align. They apparently don't know about the Wayback Machine and don't realize that we can just look up what they said before. In any case, it's provable that this is not accurate. Here is the Mar- May 28th fact check saying the COVID-19 vaccines don't strip people of their antibodies. Vaccine individuals can donate blood, except we literally just proved that's not true after May 28th and before. What it says is COVID-19 vaccine recipients can donate plasma to the American Red Cross, contrary to claims on social media that Red Cross is not accepting them because it wipes out those natural antibodies. Before they stopped collecting COVID-19 plasma on March 26th, see my point? That doesn't even, they just said the opposite. They said June something, what they just say? June 14th? Okay, so March 26th, even though we can go back to March 26th, you know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. But it says on March 26th, due to declining hospital demand, but we can prove to you that's not true, the Red Cross said they were not accepting convalescent plasma donations from those vaccinated against COVID-19. How? What? They said they were not accepting them, even though they just said that they'll continue to if they have high antibodies on other places after March 25th. There's May right here, right? May 25th, we will continue if they have high antibodies. Okay, here's the fact check. After March 26th, they said we were not accepting. They don't care that they can easily show there's something amiss here. Regarding convalescent plasma, the the FDA allows people who have had COVID-19 before they were vaccinated to donate dedicated convalescent plasma within six months. As set out here, the six-month guidance is based on data that shows antibodies from natural infection can decline. Not true, as explained by the Red Cross. Well, you can argue that antibody production will always decline, slowly wane because they're not needed, but the idea that it's, it's, it doesn't go away like the, the injections do. 
Therefore, antibodies from natural infection are not wiped out. That's, that's their argument. Because we have something that shows that they go away after six months, they're not wiped out. That's the opposite of what it's going to show and what I'll prove to you next. The reason why the FDA is not advising the convalescent plasma be taken from all vaccine individuals is to, quote, ensure that COVID-19 convalescent plasma collected from donors contains antibodies directly related to their immune responses to SARS-CoV-2 infection. Okay, now we have a whole new narrative now. Look at that. That's completely different than everything else we've heard so far. Apparently, now they're saying that we only take it from donors that contain the right antibodies. Oops, wait a minute. That doesn't line up with anything we're being told. I thought that that didn't matter. So you're telling me that you only want the right antibodies for the right immune responses? So then why do the injections given for different immune responses make any sense at all? I don't think even they know what they're supposed to be saying at this point. I think this has lost the plot. The Red Cross is, this is hilarious. The final thing it says is, although the Red Cross is no longer collecting dedicated COVID-19 convalescent plasma, (laughs) except they just said they were if they had high enough antibodies. Okay, enough of the obvious contradictions of their own information. Why don't we play, first of all, that news report that they acted like as fake news. And then I'll show you where they pulled that from and why they said it in regard to the proof around why this is absolutely, or I rather evidence, absolutely affecting you in dangerous ways. And this has been here for a long time. Your COVID-19 vaccine, you're going to want to listen to this. The Red Cross says anyone who has received their COVID-19 vaccine cannot donate convalescent plasma to help other COVID-19 patients in hospitals. That plasma is made up of antibodies from people who have recovered from the virus, but the vaccine wipes out those antibodies, making the convalescent plasma ineffective in treating other COVID-19 patients. Okay, so you could argue she's wrong, misinformed, she misunderstood what she was looking at. That's the exact sentence they're referencing, by the way. Well, here's another one, though. Here's the Red Cross. I wonder what they have to say. What do you think? Oh, you've heard this before if you watch our previous shows. Well, there's one part that I need you to hear. And it's where she tells you the reason they're not using them is because the antibodies aren't strong enough. So where'd that come from? Thank you for calling your American Red Cross. Your call and blood donation are important to us. Your call may be monitored or recorded for the development of our agents. Thank you for calling the American Red Cross. My name is Elaine. How can I help you? Hi, Elaine. My name is Ryan. I'm calling with T-Lab Media. I had a couple questions for you. Um, at first, if you have a media department for questions to the media, please uh, redirect me there if you could. But I had some questions for you in regard to a recent document that was sent out in regard to the COVID vaccine and whether or not people can donate. Are you the right person to ask questions? All right. And you want to know if someone can donate uh, with getting the COVID vaccine? Yeah, let me just, just to clarify, so I, I, the Red Cross uh, sent out a document on a PDF um, entitled COVID-19 Vaccine Blood Donation Guide for Donors. The document itself lists something I found interesting that we're, we're covering right now, which is it says if you receive any type of COVID-19 vaccine, you are not eligible to donate convalescent plasma with the Red Cross. However, you may be eligible to donate other products with the Red Cross, including whole blood and platelets if you meet other donation eligibility criteria. So I guess my question is, What's the concern for the Red Cross in regard to people with COVID-19 vaccines, and why aren't they allowed to donate convalescent blood? All right, let me get you over to eligibility, and they can explain that to you, okay? Okay, thank you. 
Brian, thanks for holding. I have Tia Myra on the line. She will be further assisting you. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Tia Myra? Hi, how are you? Hi. Uh, I'm sorry, was it was it Tia Maya? Tia Mara. Tia Mara, excuse me. Hi, how are you? Um, I'm calling with TLAB Media. I have a couple quick questions for you regarding a PDF document that was put out by the Red Cross. Um, and the, the document's entitled COVID-19 Vaccine Blood Donation Guide for Donors. Um, and this is specifically in regard mm -hmm. to eligibility. The question I have is there's a document, or a, a, a sentence listed under Step 2, Review the Required Deferral Periods, where it lists, uh, it mm -hmm. says, if you receive any type of COVID-19 vaccine, you are not eligible to donate convalescent plasma with the Red Cross. My question is, why is that a necessity or a stipulation for the Red Cross? And is it only convalescent plasma, or is it in any sense with someone with the COVID-19 vaccine? Okay. Um, so that pertains specifically to convalescent plasma. Um, we're not collecting convalescent plasma at this time. We ended the phase of um, convalescent plasma collection. But the reason being was the antibodies produced by the vaccine may not be strong enough to assist a patient battling an active COVID infection. Vaccine. Okay, um, so that pertains specifically to convalescent plasma. Um, we're not collecting convalescent plasma at this time. We ended the phase of um, convalescent plasma collection, but the reason being was the antibodies produced by the vaccine may not be strong enough to assist a patient battling an active COVID infection. There's two important things there. Obviously, that's opposite of what we're being told. But the fact that she said we discontinued the program is also not what they're saying, right? They're acting like, no, 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 we're still, we just don't need it anymore. We're overwhelmed with plasma. So we just need the, we'll only accept it if it's got extra high levels. Well, that's why they're saying that because the ones from injected people don't have strong antibodies. According to the Red Cross, isn't it amazing? Where's all the fast moving journalism outlets out there actually doing the work to find out what's actually going on? No, they just fact check and regurgitate what they're told by the people involved. That's real good journalism, guys. The bottom line is this is the this is at the very least what she's saying on the record, which completely contradicts any story out there, even though their stories out there contradict themselves. The, I, I tend to believe this is a, a a truthful part of this, that they're they're She's acknowledging something she didn't realize she wasn't supposed to say at the time that these were the injection was hurting people. Right. If you have if your antibodies aren't strong enough, that either means the injection's not doing its job, the injection's hurting the antibodies you would have had otherwise, or that it's some other combination of them. Either way, they discontinued it because it wasn't working. Then they lied and said, no, we just don't need it. Then they lied and said, we stopped because you have enough. Then they lied in general and said, we're still doing it. None of that's true based on what she just said. Isn't that crazy? Um, so this is why we were not accepting from donors who were vaccinated convalescent plasma. Okay, well then, in, in regard to somebody who has recovered, with you know, recovered from, from a natural occurrence with with COVID nineteen, is that something still being accepted from the Red Cross? Well, if if we were collecting at the time, yes, we were accepting donors that were recovered from COVID nineteen. And there's the next part. Right. So, yes, if we were, which you could find on the documentation, they claim they are. They're still taking from people that aren't injected. 
yet have this weird situation where it acts like we don't need any, but we'll take high levels, but it's just a setup to make you not take vaccinated injections, which is what they stated on their own documentation before it was deleted, right? So they are taking people, convalescent plasma, people that have had natural immunity or natural infection, but not the other. I mean, there's really no way to misunderstand what, what this is and why they would do it. You have to be willfully stupid to not understand why that differentiation would be made. Well, no, I mean, currently. Currently, is that, is that something that's still being accepted? No, we're, we're no longer testing for COVID-19 antibodies or collecting convalescent plasma at this time. So convalescent plasma will be considered... Which, again, their narrative very quickly changed on. Like, right, once they updated the documentation, they claimed the, the narrative I just told you. That they are, but only in certain cases, and right? So it's, we're being lied to, however you look at this. Somebody who recovered after the injection or somebody who recovered after just having the occurrence of COVID-19, correct? We, yes, we collected convalescent plasma from donors who recovered from COVID-19. Okay, so so that, that so thank you for clarifying that. So this is what this is what I was interested in and came up confused really about is it only says that you're not accepting if you if you receive any type of the vaccine that you're not eligible to donate. So my question is, are you still accepting currently convalescent plasma from people who have only recovered but not had an injection? No, we're we're no longer collecting convalescent plasma. Okay, I mean, that ended in June. Got it, got it. Yes, in so, general. So, then I guess that's why, why would it need to be listed that you are only, if you, if you receive an injection that you can't donate? Like, wouldn't you just list it as we're no longer taking convalescent plasma as opposed to saying specifically the injection we won't take where it's not listed in regard to the natural uh, occurrence with it? Uh, that's and which is, again, what they did change it to. Right. But this was in the midst of this being changed. So my question is obvious. Why would you specifically say not this one for vaccinated people if you were arguing weren't taking it from anybody? Again, which is what they su- subtly changed it to. That's what I guess I was confused by. Which now you're clarifying, but is, is there a reason that was left off? I'm not sure when or uh, why this P- PDF, this document was sent out. So I'm not even aware of it. Anything pertaining to convalescent plasma has been completely removed from our website. No, it hasn't. So I'm not sure because okay. um, I, I have had some inquiries, but, but that's something I'm going to take note of and forward to my supervisor because I have had a couple um, inquiries about that. So, Okay. Well, I, I think you. you can clarify for me in general. The, the document's entitled COVID-19 Vaccine Blood Donation Guide for Donors. Do you know when that was released? No, I don't. We don't typically release any documents um, <laughs> as far as our eligibility criteria. We don't do that. So, um, just, just for that's something I would have to. Yeah. It was just for clarification. Mm-hmm. It's 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 listed on the Red, the Red Cross Blood dot org website. Right. It is. It's on yeah. our website. Yeah. Well, I, I have the I have the URL right here: www.redcrossblood.org. dot org. And it's under Red Cross Blood Docs COVID-19 New Donor Vaccine Guide. Okay, let me go to the website now. I, I, if I could, I'd send you Last that. time I checked, that was removed. Anything. Why would it be removed anyway, right? I mean, especially since it didn't, later was put back. Like, that sounds like an effort to remove information. Why would that be? So we have, right now, the only thing I see here... Under the Donate Blood tab, 
is COVID-19 safety protocol. So all well, the information we had was listed on the front page of the website, but I have, the URL is still active. And I can see that it's on redcrossblood.org. So maybe maybe that should be, you know, clarified for people because this this can be confusing for people right now, which is why we're asking. Mhm. Yes, I completely understand. Yes. Um I'm definitely like I said going to forward this to my um manager so we Right. Right, I'm sure. Well, here's the next one. Just so we're clear again, in case you missed that, very important to understand what she said, that we do not accept vaccinated blood or blood that's been from somebody who's been vaccinated for convalescent plasma because the antibodies in that are not strong enough for the purpose we need them for. But you know what is? Plasma from people that have natural immunity. There's no misunderstanding that. Now, here is Dr. David Bauer, who you've also seen before, who is from the Francis Crick Institute, who is saying verbatim exactly what they don't want you to think is real. Key message from our finding is that we found that recipients of the Pfizer vaccine, those who've had two doses, have about five to six-fold lower amounts of neutralizing antibodies. Now, these are the sort of gold standard private security uh, antibodies of your immune system, which block the virus from getting into your cells in the first place. So we found that that's less for people with two doses. We've also found that for people with only one dose of the Pfizer jab, that they are less likely to have high levels of these antibodies in their blood. I mean, there's no misunderstanding what he just said. You have lower amounts of antibodies when you have one or two shots of Pfizer. And perhaps most importantly for all of us going forward is that we see that the older you are, the lower your levels are likely to be. And the time since you've had your second jab, as that time goes on, the lower your levels are also likely to be. It's so interesting how clear this is and how much information is out about that. Now, this goes into a whole nother part of this. This is new. So adding to all of that, understanding how very obvious it is that they were lying about something. I think it's clear about what, but how, whatever you think, it's no denying that they were lying. They were trying to hide something because the narrative, even on their own documentation, is confusing and doesn't add up to different dates, different arguments, different justifications. Even in regard to what she told me is different than everything else too. This Adds on top of all of it. This was on September 13th. This is wishtv.com, which is a local channel, a News 8 channel. It's associated with like uh, um, W, what is it, WD or that, that news network. It's, a, it's like a local corporate news channel. New study finds organ recipients rejecting transplant after receiving COVID vaccine. Look at that. Now I'll play this video for you. Researchers say the underlying cause could be tied to systemic inflammatory response elicited by the shot post-jab. Look at that. Now, I'll come back to this in a second. Just on top of it, realize here's another peer-reviewed science document from Cell.com. The mRNA lipid nanoparticle platform's lipid nanoparticle component used in preclinical vaccine studies is highly inflammatory. That's November 19, 2021. Who cares, though, right? Because vaccine's good no matter what. Well, let's play this clip where they're telling you these people are rejecting ocular transplants because of the injection. Now, let's let's not pretend that, I mean, my thought is that has everything to do with the blood discussion. At the very least, there's a problem with the injection causing your body to, act, to reject things like this or to cause these kind of problems. And this is all interrelated to me. Health Spotlight, presented by Community Health Network. 
Well, tonight's Health Spotlight, emerging new research shows a growing number of transplant recipients are suddenly rejecting their new organ. Scientists say the COVID vaccine could be to blame. Joining us now to explain... Oh, it must be those anti-science fake news scientists, huh? Blaine is Wish TV's medical reporter, Dr. Mary Gillis. Mary. Alexis, Phil, according to a new study published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine, acute corneal allografts are being rejected by immunized patients who've undergone the procedure. Researchers say the underlying cause could be tied to a systematic inflammatory response elicited by the shot. The cornea is the outermost layer of your eye. Corneographs are used to restore vision, reduce eye pain, and improve the appearance of a damaged cornea. The surgery is known to be one of the most successful transplant procedures with low rejection rates. Japanese researchers compiled data from 23 studies, a total of 23 eyes from 21 patients who had undergone corneal graft procedures were assessed. Graft rejection occurred anywhere from one day to six weeks after vaccination in all patients, some who underwent the procedure as far back as 20 years ago. In the paper, study authors write, as the virus continues to spread, additional booster COVID-19 vaccines are expected. Therefore, proper follow-up of corneal allograft recipients and interventions to prevent corneal allograft rejection after they receive the COVID-19 vaccine may be crucial. Among the list of emerging complications linked to the vaccine are blood clots, heart inflammation, and Guillain-Barre syndrome. Reporting from the newsroom, I wish TV's medical reporter, Dr. Mary Gillis. Oh, Guillain-Barre, that just, that's like every, that, that's a side effect of like every vaccine you could ever look back to. It's, it seems pretty interesting to me. By the way, just on a quick glance, I was looking around. We, we're, we have easily, just on the main platforms, well over a thousand people tuned in right now. Just got to love how, how the reality of today, if we choose to see it, is that we don't need their platforms or their social media metrics, right? We need to circumvent this stuff. And this is why pirate streams are the way to go, guys. That's the reality, and it's all across these different platforms. But here's the study, right? This is peer-reviewed science from mdpi.com. Characteristics and clinical ocular manifestations in patients with acute cor corneal graft rejection after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine, a systematic review published August 2nd, 2022. I guess they just missed this science, right? The study aimed to determine the characteristics and clinical ocular manifestations of acute corneal graft re reaction after coronavirus disease 2019 COVID-19 vaccination. 13 articles on 21 different patients with acute corneal graft rejection after COVID-19 vaccination published between April and December 2021 were included. 20, 13 different articles. The median, the average age was 68, but it spanned from 27 to 83. So this is, guys, this is affecting everybody. The interval between vaccination and rejection age ranged from one day to six weeks. See what I mean? Every age group across the board, every time variable, like it depends on your body and different things. That's why this is so bad and dangerous. From one day to six weeks. In addition, it says the clinical characteristics of corneal allograft rejection after COVID-19 vaccination were identified. But no one cares about this, of course, because it goes against the injection narrative, so you're supposed to ignore it. But this perfectly lines up with another example of how this is creating problems, You're, like, whether it's blood, whether it's genetic material. I mean, this is hurting you guys. It's everywhere. You know, here's an example that leans into the same discussion about the blood. And this is the, the Daily Skeptic. And I, 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 the, this is an important discussion because it references a New England Journal of Medicine study, which I, I agree with the finding of this article, that the data, which you can look at for yourself, is pretty damn clear. But the the conclusion they come to seems to weirdly omit the most important parts and make it sound like it goes the other direction. Now, you can come, don't trust Daily Skeptic, myself, the study, look at all of it and think for yourself and ask yourself if you do think the data does challenge what they find. 
not don't just blindly go along with because they're the experts, they know better. That's certainly something you should consider. But just look at how clear this is and ask yourself when they come to the conclusion that it vaccines better than anything, how that would make sense. As the title says, September 12th, COVID vaccine destroys natural immunity. Look at that. What a perfect correlation. New study published in New England Journal of Medicine shows not only that the effectiveness of the Pfizer COVID vaccine becomes negative, which we all know, meaning the vaccines are more likely to be infected, vaccinated, infected than the unvaccinated, which is what we're seeing everywhere, within five months, but that the vaccine destroys any protection a person has from natural immunity. That's what the news was telling. That's what Dr. Bayer was telling you. All the data is out there, even the Red Cross data. She admitted it's not strong enough. You can't ignore this anymore. The study is a large observational study that looks at uh, 887,193 children from 5 to 11 in North Carolina, of whom 273,157 or 30% received at least one dose of the Pfizer injection between November 1st, June 3rd, 2022. The study concludes 193,346 SARS-CoV-2 infections reported between March 11th, 2020 and June 3rd, 2022 includes, excuse me. The findings are depicted in the charts below. In chart A, which you can see right here in the bottom left, notice that the green and blue lines representing just quickly take a screenshot if you want a close view the green and the blue lines we're right here the green and the blue lines representing child vaccination vaccine children vaccinated in november and december respectively go through zero into negative territory at a sharp gradient within five months of the first injection it's clear unclear why the green line is not continued past april that is weird as the researchers presumably had the data. But from what is shown, it looks very much like the vaccine effectiveness will continue declining deep into negative territory, which we've seen proven by Pfizer's own documentation. And Moderna, by the way, Pfizer just has a much higher negative efficacy. In chart B, next one, we see both red and blue lines, which represent children who are vaccinated and have been previously infected and not previously infected, respectively. Again, going through zero at a steep gradient with five months of vaccination. The fact that the vaccinated who have natural immunity from previous infection also see negative effectiveness is a surprise as one would not expect those with natural immunity to be more susceptible to infection than those without it. Makes no sense at all until you realize what's causing this. Chart C and D, as you can see below, suggest that it is the vaccine that is causing this worrying erasure of, uh, erasure of natural immunity. Everything backs this up. Chart D shows the effectiveness of natural immunity from previous infection among the vaccinated. Notice that the blue line, which is protection against the Delta variant among the vaccinated and previously infected, hits zero at a steep gradient within seven months. Now look at the blue line in chart C, which is protection against Delta and the previously infected and unvaccinated. Why is natural immunity remaining protective for the unvaccinated? Whereas in the vaccinated, their protection, in quotes, goes negative, even if they have natural immunity. You know the answer to that. The data makes that clear. It's right in front of you. All the Red Cross information, all the transplant, all this stuff, it makes this clear. All the, what Dr. Bauer said, what the news report found, all of it. These things remove the antibodies from your blood. That's what they found and covered up. That's what the Pfizer documentation is showing. Everything. And by the way, their data very clearly shows that it's right in front of you. Now, here is the stu- another study that adds to this. 
This is in the International Journal of Vaccine Theory, Practice, and Research. Dark field microscopic analysis on the blood of 1,006 symptomatic persons after anti-COVID-19 mRNA injections from Pfizer, Biotech, or Moderna. It's exactly what you might expect, guys. This is from August 12th. The use of dark field microscopic analysis of fresh peripheral blood on a slide was once widespread in medicine, allowing a first and immediate assessment of the state of human, or excuse me, the state of health of the corp, uh, corp, corpuscular components of the blood. In the present study, we analyzed with a dark field optical microscope the peripheral blood drop from 1,006 symptomatic subjects after inoculation with mRNA injection, starting from March 2021. This is really important, actually. There were 948 out of 1,006 subjects, 94%, whose blood showed aggregation of erythrocytes, I believe, and the presence of particles of various shapes and sizes of unclear origin one month after the mRNA inoculation. In 12 subjects, blood was examined with the same method before vaccination, showing a perfectly normal hematological distribution. The alterations found after the inoculation of the mRNA injections further reinforced the suspicion that the modifications were due to the so-called vaccines themselves. I mean, you're a good God. The, the body of evidence out there showing you what's going on is undeniable. And again, that the, the lipid nanoparticles themselves are highly inflammatory. So you add all this together, and this is a perfect storm to destroy whatever it touches, guys. How do you miss what that is? Now, an, an interesting finish point on this last segment before we finish with biomass, Ellie, Eli Klein makes a really interesting observation here from CDC. Seems the CDC is now officially advising COVID vaccination status is generally irrelevant to transmission, which we all know. Really long past time to put an end to the COVID vaccine mandates or never should have been allowed. But he points out that they acknowledge that the vaccine status is no longer needed to inform source control. How in the world? And he posted the link. Thank you for posting the link. Here's this. Here's the page. Interim infection prevention and control recommendations for healthcare personnel during COVID-19. September 23rd. Very first thing. Updated to note that vaccination status is no longer used to inform source control, screening testing, or post-exposure recommendations. That's also why the CDC did that a moment ago, right? The last time, the other update we showed you where they changed that it's not, this, this is important because what it's showing you is that it doesn't matter that this is the most explicit stating of this we've seen so far. It does not matter. You can be injected or not, and it makes no difference on how you're treated, how it's whether it's screening, testing, recommendations for exposure, source control, anything. If the vaccination is not informed on source control, that means it has no bearing on whether or not you're getting sick or spreading, which we all know. It would have a meaning in source control, even if it was less, understand. Like, let's just say it reduced the amount of spread. That's what they want you to believe, then it would play a factor in source control. The fact that they're saying it simply does not have a, a factor means you can be injected and, it, and there's no difference. In fact, the reality is we know there's a highly, you are far more spreading. You're spreading and catching this exponentially more. And as UK data showed up to three to four times more than anybody else, including those that weren't injected. They're just stating it for you right there. The media and the narrative on Twitter probably will catch up maybe forever, but it's right there for you. Now, additional points he didn't highlight. 
It says updated recommendations address the risk for false negative antigen tests in people with symptoms. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what the other side of the coin is on that? False, false positives. It's weird how they never like to ask them. Who cares about false positives? We love false positives, but we're only going to point out false negatives. That's, I mean, it's just so childishly self-serving. Clarified that screening testing of asymptomatic, which they still pretend is there, healthcare personnel, included those in nursing homes, is at the discretion of the facility, which is admitting that it doesn't matter because it's not actually there. So that's them admitting asymptomatic is not a problem. If it's up to you, it means they don't care about it. It was net, they, they are not interested right now in pushing this for some reason. I think it's because they realize that nobody's buying it anymore. Either way, we've always known that wasn't the reality. Even Fauci admitted that respiratory viruses do not spread unless they've got symptoms, but who cares? It's all about hyping fear. Updated to note that in general, asymptomatic patients no longer require empiric use of transmission-based precautions following close contact with someone. With co- okay, does that mean that they're not even sick? If they're asymptomatic, we don't even need to worry about transmission. Yeah, exactly, guys. They're quietly changing everything. This is dishonesty is what you're looking at. They are tightening up all the lies. These people know that they're caught. Time to actually catch them. Accountability time. That's what we need to do. Now, before and that's before, by the way, that this whole madness rushes in and everybody gets so incredibly distracted, rightly so, by the wildly concerning bioeconomy push that's happening right now. Now, guess what? As you may have saw in the beginning, yet again, we were ahead of this story. I, and I didn't know this was going to happen so fast. I didn't know that this was going to be the next big thing or that this was going to be something that happened in California. Usually New York and California tend to be leading the charge in regard to this madness. But remember, we just talked about this. Now, by the way, I'm going to include these. I just posted Brock's clips he did for the bioeconomy part of this. They're, they're long clips because it's, you know, it's just the segment about the bioeconomy. But it's, and it's even broken up into part one and part two. But it's only on Odyssey. Um, I believe Odyssey. BitChute and Sovereign. The dark reality of the American bioeconomy part one and the dark reality of the American bioeconomy part two. This one's only 39 minutes. This one's an hour and 20, 28. This one goes extensively over the actual executive order, but this one goes more deep into where it's going. I want to include those as well as the, sh- the show. This one specifically, Americans farmed for the bioeconomy, which gets in exactly to the biomass conversation we're going to get into now. And as well, Derek's recent article where he takes a slightly different direction on it, but it's equally important in regard to the how the Biden administration embraces technocracy with the promise of $2 billion funding in the bioeconomy. Now, the point is, as we just talked about the biomass conversation and the possibility of human bodies being used to produce energy. And of course, we, oh, you're such a conspiracy theorist, despite that being an open conversation in the, and the Sustainable Development Goals UN community. We were still called conspiracy theorists. But guess what? Two days later, Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom signs bill legalizing human composting in California, September 2022. But Ryan, that's the gateway pundit. You might be thinking it's probably fake news. Oh, here's ABC. Okay. Now, can we all keep going forward? Okay, let's keep going forward. We'll get back to ABC and make sure you know that it's not just gateway pundit. Here's what it says. Starting in 2027. Oh, good. Right after 2030, human composting will be available as a new burial method in California. Now, one of the things that always comes to my mind is how clear this could be used to cover things up in a mass way, like in a context of, I don't know, trying to get rid of all the bodies that are evidence around what's going on for COVID-19 injections. Now, I don't think that's the primary part of this, but it's certainly a possibility. 
But it says the bill was introduced by Democrat Assemblywoman Christina Garcia. Garcia actually argued that cremation is bad for the environment because there's a lot of carbon emissions. Now, the argument that there's a lot of carbon emissions is not it's not an unfair argument. The unfair argument is that the carbon emissions hurt the environment. That's the problem, the illusory nature of the entire climate change argument. But that that's we've gotten to that many times and I will more in the future. Their argument is that cremation is bad. And that's all just hear that, because that's why they're selling you on the idea of this very nerve wracking direction. And this gets into using human bodies remains at this point in time for energy or to do it a different way to stop climate change. That's the first edge of this part of it. But I want to make sure you see how clearly it is that that's what they're already and already have been arguing that this is going to be used to produce energy. Now, you could argue that if it becomes large enough and a, you know, standing use enough, a part of the energy infrastructure large enough that you could argue there may be a situation to, I don't know, produce war to justify, to justify more bodies to be used for energy. Like, if you think that sounds crazy, you're just not paying attention to the way that this these people operate. Right now, wars are actually used in many ways to justify the move, the migration of people, the, the, the stealing of resources, the trafficking of human beings. All these things are real. So if you think it's just one step too far to pretend that they would do that to use human bodies, well, that's that's where you that you're choosing not to acknowledge what's already been proven. Now, I'm not saying I know that's what's happening. I'm just willing to die to discuss things that people consider off the rails. Just, discussing anything should be open to anybody who's objective. That's how you'll quickly find that most people, even in journalism, even independent media, are not really that objective. But it says here, Garcia actually argued that it's bad for the environment. Quote, when we have a coffin, we put that into the ground. There's a lot of chemicals that get leaked into the ground, and oftentimes it ends up in the water. Yeah, now we're nitpicking about chemicals from coffins, but we don't care that the military is burning massive puddles of dangerous chemicals all over the world. That's okay, though, because freedom. But we're going to nitpick about the coffins and what they, and cow stuff. And you see what I mean? Like, it's so weirdly focused on small things about your life, as opposed to the real culprits of what the, who are actually hurting the planet, but not even getting into the illusion that is climate change. But yes, we're hurting the planet. That's an obvious reality. And again, the people doing it the most are the ones that are barely affected by their direction. It says, when we do cremation, there's also a lot of carbon emissions. Now, this has been a stated argument for a long time. So why, when they first introduced the biomass conversation in regard to energy, did they omit this huge part of the conversation? Probably because they saw this coming. The California Catholic Conference is is speaking up, objecting, saying human composting creates a, quote, unfortunate spiritual, emotional, and psychological distancing from the deceased. And this is the executive director of the California Catholic Conference saying, adding the process, quote, reduces the human body to a to simply a disposable commodity. And there is, I think, the main part of this. This is about how human weakness is bad. Human species is bad. Our our very susceptibility to disease, the human, everything that makes us human is the problem. Now, that's real from a transhumanist perspective. That's a real argument. But you, that intermingles with the eugenics kind of World Economic Forum Great Reset direction. And that's one of the things they're trying to do. They're trying to remove these things. So when you get to a point where the body is just another form of energy, well, yeah, that does kind of diminish the meaning behind what the human body is and the things within it. It does become a disposable commodity. Maybe that's exactly the point. But here ABC News reported. AB351 is the bill introduced by Assemblymember Christina Garcia allows for the method in which human remains naturally decompose over a 30 to 45 day period. Now it's only one version of this, by the way, and are turned into a soil 
that human composting soil can then be returned to the deceased family or donated to cons conservation land. So in this case, we're talking about it used into a way that can produce soil, that can be used to grow, that can be used to create, and it also in many cases used to produce energy and how the, how the, the operation works. This, this highlighting just one example of it turning into soil. I'll, I'll, I'll show you this next. California will join four other states in the country. So this is not new. Washington, Colorado, Oregon, and Vermont are already allowing human composting. Now, you may not have an issue with that. Maybe it's wrong to have an issue with that. You can decide for yourself. But it's where this is going that really concerns me. I mean, quite frankly, I do. I, I have an issue with this becoming sort of a, a forced direction. And then if you don't do this, you're hurting the planet. That's where this is going. So then you're going to feel obligated to do so, even if it challenges your religious beliefs, even if it goes against what you want. That's what's happening everywhere. But Californians will be, be able to choose human composting as their burial, burial method starting 2027. Starting in 2027, a different burial method will be available for Californians as Gavin Newsom signed a bill that allows human composting. Just so we can see, this is not fake news. Even, I don't know why it makes it not fake news to some people when it's on corporate media, but that's how it works for some people. But you can watch these videos and read these articles if you want to get deeper into the, the bigger picture of the bioeconomy and biomanufacturing, which, of which one part is biomass. Now, remember, biomass has different meanings in ecology versus energy, and so there's different variations of it. But in this case, we're talking about energy. Now, here's the page I've shown before. What is biomass? Biomass is com matter composed of the remains of dead organisms, which could be humans, animals, plants, anything, right? And in one case, they use, in, you can see that one of the pictures, they use wood chips, you know, old dead trees compacted into wood chips or that become something that we can use to burn to make energy, right? But in one of these cases, we're talking about using dead bodies. And this is not, and that's, I'm not even referencing the composting step. I'm talking about what's already been discussed for years in the sustainable development goals discussion. This, whether you think so or not, is a step in that direction. That's what this is. It all relates to the argument of climate change and using this as a way to stop these things that aren't actually, in my opinion, what's happening. Here is the, one of these discussions that has already been had. This goes back to 2012. Future death, the dead human body as biomass. And in this case, they mean energy. Here is another forum. You know, I'm just showing you this has been discussed and theorized. And this one, I think, was 2018. Human corpses of biomass? Like, this is from naked, the Naked Scientist. And they're just discussing why and how. And everyone's going, yeah, we should, and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Here is a post from a symposium this is a the death reference desk, essentially. And they're posting a symposium posting for buying tickets and featuring as this, this presentation he's going to give. Dr. John Troyer, Deputy Director, Center for Death and Society, University of Bath in England. Dr. Troyer will discuss new research exploring how heat capture technology currently used at Haycomb Crematorium in Bath reduces both mercury emissions and offers a potentially viable energy source for the local community. Okay, so that is in one case what we're talking about in regard to the crematorium discussion. Now, you could argue that they're going to do composition or many other places are arguing different versions of this. And that's my point about the large discussion. Or that this same situation can be used to capture the same things and be used for energy. Com we know how compost can be used in many different ways. right? That's how this, So we're still talking about human bodies as energy. And this, they make the alarming point, solient green isn't just people, it's now. That, you know, a, a kind of a joke about the movie where it's people, they're using people to make things, right? Here is the 
just in case you thought that was just a random thing he did one, this is on the University of Bath website. Here's Dr. John Troyer. Here's what it says, and you've seen this if you watch the previous shows. John Troyer started this post at the University of Bath in September of 2008. He is a director of the Center for Death and Society. His PhD dissertation was entitled Technologies of the Human Corpse. Within the field of death studies, John focuses on delineating and defining the concept of the dead human subject. John is in the closing stages of a case study looking at mercury emissions and heat capture technology in UK crematoria. You see, this is a broad, gigantic conversation. Research interests, the social and technological control of the dead body in both time and space, vis-a-vis mechanical manipulation of human biology. That is the overlap with exactly what we're talking about, the programming circuitry and, and biology to do. That's what we ju- they just talked about in the executive order. The legal, scientific, and medical protocols that determine social policies, for example, those with pronounced a time of death for human beings. As if you know, maybe you're not dead or maybe you know, if there's some weird stuff going on here. The illicit global trade in human tissues and body parts and aesthetics and death. Finally, Stated expertise related to UN Sustainable Development Goals. And to list exactly the point we're talking about, the UN 17 Sustainable Goals. So when he's talking about the heat capture technology, this is related to the Sustainable Development Goals conversation from a huge university. It's all interconnected. Here is the World Economic Forum Converting Biomass to Energy page, which we've gone over in the past. You can read for yourself. Which the list includes animal waste materials, which would include human bodies. So here we are at a point when it's very obvious that this is already happening. Where this conversation that's already being led by people involved with the sustainable development goals are already trying this. And now we're seeing states in the United States take these steps. We're already watching this begin. And in the last final point, which I promise is going to put some people over the edge, because it is strange. I'm not saying this is what's happening or it, it is going to happen. But you can't miss that they want you to at least think that it's going to happen with the weirdness they're pushing this from. This is Science Direct, biomass production. Just want to include that it does also say biomass in regard to energy is also uniquely a source of human food and animal feed. So what it means, this first thought I had was about the idea of like the UN food pellet, food tube conversation, which again, who knows if it's actually going to happen. It's definitely possible. And here they are discussing creating a new form of energy and food that could be used. But what else has been being seeded in the conversation, as you well know, to finish the show today? A Swedish scientist advocates eating humans to combat climate change. That's a little bit disconcerting. And this isn't just a Swedish scientist. This is all over. I mean, this is I've, I've seen probably 15 different articles arguing that maybe we should eat human flesh. Well, from where? Are you going to kill people? Well, no. Then where else does it come from, guys? So what are we talking about exactly? It's not hard to see the connected points to talking about using human bodies as energy, as, as fuel, as stopping climate change, to the conversation of using it as an energy source for the specifically sustainable development goals, and then talking about it as a food source. Now, I'm not saying this could very well just be stated as a way to get you to freak out and talk about something that's completely off the rails so that we can be called conspiracy theorists. I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. It's certainly possible, though. And the idea that there's an obvious overlap to the conversation is pretty concerning so all i know is that we should be asking questions and that's certainly one that stands out to me and i think this is just a little bit of a a disconcerting reality that they are already living this they're watching we're watching this come out i mean i talked about this a few days ago 
as some like distant, scary future reality. And then two days later, Gavin Newsom initiates this reality. This is concerning, guys. We are on a fast runaway train to what they've already decided is, is right for everybody. And I think it's pretty damn obvious that pretty much nobody wants this. That's my opinion. I, you know, I mean, you could tell me I'm wrong, but I, I think the evidence is in front of us is pretty damn clear. So thank you for being here and continuing to push and fight and spread the word, guys. It really is inspiring to see how much is happening and how much you're changing that every single day. And like I said, I mean, seeing that we have thousands of people tuned in right now, this community is bigger and larger and more reaching than anybody gives a credit for. And I love you for being here and taking part in it because we are changing things, guys. I feel it in my bones. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Comes from China. That's why. Comes from China. Okay, this is no joke. This is what people are doing. It's great. Even. Not social distancing. Put your mask on. Get away from Put the Put it on. For freedom. Stop it. Whoa, whoa. What is going on inside his head? So this guy in Michigan came up with this idea. Six feet apart. Oh, yeah. Extreme, extreme measures of self isolation. It um, gets the point across. So you can wear it comfortably all day. Share your smile. Z Shield wraps your face. On prend une bouchée et on remet le masque. On prend une bouchée et on remet le masque. Fun? It's science! It's, it's science!